Talk Live. It's your show, and you can take control of the airwaves toll-free at 800-259-9231. That's the packet, 8.net toll-free line for you. 1-800-259-9231. Ian here with you. And Mark. And you can join us on our website at freetalklive.com. All the features there, we give them away. Those other radio talk show hosts, they want to charge you for access to their website. We do it for free at freetalklive.com. All right, last night... We finished out the show, and I didn't get a chance to get to the State of the Union address by Steve Cubby. Okay. Now, if, you, uh, if you've if you been listening for a while, you know that we've interviewed Steve in the past. You may be aware that he is uh, one of the major marijuana legalization, decriminalization proponents out there in the country today. He ran for uh, governor in the state of California on the Libertarian ticket in 1998. He was subsequently targeted by the California government uh, for attack, and the feds as well. And he was, um, he's a medical marijuana patient himself. Right. And uh, um, he was he was tossed in jail and, and uh, deprived of his medication. He was getting Marinol instead of uh, marijuana, and he, it could have killed him. Right. It was a really, really sad situation. Thankfully, he's gotten through it today. Um, he's, it's a, just a 10-year ordeal for him dealing with the government on this. And uh, he sat, sat some time in jail, et cetera, et cetera. Now he's considering a run for president. And appropriately enough, he has written his own response to President Bush's uh, State of the Union address from Tuesday night. So I figured I'd share it with you. My fellow Americans, from Steve Covey. Earlier this evening, America listened as President George W. Bush addressed a joint session of Congress, fulfilling his constitutional duty to report annually to Congress on the State of the Union. Shortly thereafter, Virginia Senator Jim Webb delivered the Democratic Party's response to his report. I'm not privileged to address you tonight over broadcast television or radio. Uh, Now you are. Uh, My party's opinions are considered unworthy of coverage by the mainstream media. A response, however, is required, and I accept the responsibility for making it as an American, a presidential candidate, and hopefully a worthy, although not official, representative of my party, because the Libertarian Party has yet to actually choose its presidential candidate he's just in the running as but you know none of them none of the parties have chosen their presidential candidates the union president bush tells us is strong and he may be right what he doesn't admit is that the union is weaker now than when he took office as evidence for his claim of national strength he cites an economy which thrives in spite of not because of the ministrations of his government and proposes additional help of the type that weakens rather than strength, uh, strengthen, strengthens it. As proof of the bright future before us and the care which we take to leave our children a better world, he points to his No Child Left Behind Act, an act which props up a disintegrating public education system with more of the federal interference that until only a few short years ago his party had pledged to eliminate it the first opportunity. Addressing himself to the question of national defense, he defends to the very last his failed experiments in foreign military adventurism, which have stretched America's armed forces to the breaking point, alienated our friends, empowered our enemies, and left us less, not more, secure against attack or invasion. Right. You know, it's obvious, you know, Bush sees the failure there. He's just not going to admit it. He's just not going to. Turning to issues of energy independence and environmental sanity, he recommends more subsidies and more regulation rather than smaller government and more innovation. Like President Bush, I believe that the union is strong. Unlike President Bush, I and my fellow libertarians understand what makes America strong. We understand that every dollar in taxes uh, taken out of your paycheck makes America weaker, and that every dollar left in your pocket 
makes America stronger. We understand that Washington's one-size-fits-all programs for public education make America weaker, and that parental control and individual choice in education make America stronger, not to mention make smarter kids. We understand that bring them on and mission accomplished and surge make America weaker, and that a foreign policy based on, quote, friendship and commerce with all nations, entangling alliances with none. Is that Washington or Jefferson? I can never remember Whose quote that is? Yeah, I think it's Washington, but I but if you uh, I think it's look it up, attributed to Jefferson. But sometimes? if you look it up on the internet, you'll probably find both. He says that makes America stronger. That policy, and I agree completely. We understand that government subsidies to big oil and big agriculture make America weaker. That unsubsidized competition makes America stronger, and that only the innovation fostered by a truly free market will allow us to meet the challenges of pollution, climate change, and future fossil fuel scarcity. The Union's strong not because of the efforts of George W. Bush and his fellow politicians, but in spite of them. And in their clutches, America can only continue to become weaker, because the strength of our Union, my fellow Americans, is freedom. The notion that government exists only for the purpose of securing our rights to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, bequeathed by us to our nation's founders, or by our nation's uh, founders, is the foundation upon which every worthwhile American accomplishment rests. The Bush administration, the Congress, and their pre uh, predecessors in the White House and on Capitol Hill have gone at that foundation with a sledgehammer. The cracks they've produced in that foundation are visible all around us. The Patriot Act, the Military Commissions Act, warrantless searches and wiretaps, no-knock raids, detention without charge, counsel, or trial. As a nation, we now imprison, uh, imprison more of our own than any other. One in 30 Americans are trapped in a justice system that's long since ceased to represent justice. The rest of us are subject to the reams of arbitrary and capricious edicts concerning what we might say, how we may worship, which political candidates we may support, and how much we may do so financially, what arms we might carry in our own defense, what medicines we may use, even whether or not we can play cards on the Internet. America as we know it, everything in it worthy of our devotion and allegiance, stands at the edge of a cliff, below which the darkness of totalitarianism awaits. Whether or not our union is strong enough to step backward from the precipice is a question that only time will answer. Over the next two years, I'll watch with you as the new Democratic Congress wrestles with the problem of restoring freedoms that a corrupt and lawless administration has robbed us of. If history is any guide, the Democrats will choose instead to go to work with their own sledgehammers. In the meantime, I urge you to join with me in support of America's last best hope for a better tomorrow, the Libertarian Party. Even as we speak, hundreds of libertarians toil in elected and appointed office or as volunteer party activists working to protect your freedom. With your help, we can elect thousands of new local officials, hundreds of state legislators, dozens of U.S. representatives and senators, and guess even a president, who understand that, makes America, that what makes America strong and are prepared to act on that understanding. Let freedom grow from Steve Cubby. Now, last night, Mark, you suggested that Steve Cubby wouldn't be such a great candidate for president because of his connection to the medical marijuana issue. And I think that uh, right there, that essay, if that's what you want to call it, is a perfect example of how Steve Cubby is clearly more than just a one-issue, one-trick pony. Oh, he I'm, didn't even mention marijuana. I'm not saying that Steve Cubby considers himself to be a one-trick pony, and it's clear by this um, th this essay that he's he has he understands all the planks of libertarianism. It's I think that he'd be great, and I'd vote for him mm -hmm. because he'd be a good guy. I'm just saying that 
his notoriety based around the um, marijuana issue is going to be a real stumbling block. Why do you think that is? Why do I think that is? It would seem to me that since he has some notoriety, that puts him far and above other libertarian candidates in the past. He doesn't have notoriety that's of any – all of his notoriety is bad, and we've seen in the uh, um, presidential races – Why do you say it's bad exactly? Are you talking it's about – illegal. Illegal. Yes. He was using medical marijuana legally um, in California when he was arrested. I understand that. And um, do you think that – do you not think that the American public is going to, to view this as a bad thing? Because I really do. It seems to me that according to statistics, the American public vastly supports legalizing medical marijuana. Medical marijuana. Something to the tune of 80%. And that was his issue. I think a lot of Americans consider medical marijuana to be a ruse by uh, marijuana users in order to um, be able to just Maybe some Americans think that, but how do you counter the 80% statistic? You know, there would have to be proof. I just don't know. I mean, he, you know, arrest. Proof of what? Arrest. How many presidents have been arrested? Uh, I don't know. None. Okay. I, I just don't think it's. I just don't think it's going to be good. That's my personal opinion on it. All right, fair enough. I just I don't see where you're coming from on that, based beyond anything more than a gut feeling. Yeah. What do you think that's Americans vote is. on? Well, I would hope they would vote on the issues. Oh, I don't think that that's the case. Usually, if they do vote on issues, they vote on one particular issue. It's their issue, and that's what they vote on. And they find the person that they like the most on that. And other than that, it's it's their gut. 800-259-9231. Anyway, I think he'll make a fine candidate, and I wish him the best of luck. It looks like the entangling alliances phrase was Jefferson, but um, something very similar with um, was attributed to Washington. Uh, permanent alliances with any portion of the foreign world. More on the way. Toll-free number for you, 800-259-9231. This is your show. It is Free Talk Live. This is Free Talk Live. It's your show, and you can take control of the airwaves toll-free at 800-259-9231. That's 1-800-259-9231, the packet8.net toll-free line for you. It's Ian here with you. And Mark. And you can join us on our website at freetalklive.com. All the features there, we give them away. And that does include the archives. An entire year's worth of the show right there, front page of the site. For your download and convenience, enjoy. They're on us at freetalklive.com. And what's your liberty issue? Is it the war on drugs? Well, register now for the February of 2007 New Hampshire Liberty Forum. Speakers including Jack Cole, Executive Director of Law Enforcement Against Prohibition, as well as Rob Campia, the Executive Director of the Marijuana Policy Project, and New Hampshire residents who are working to end the war on drugs. freestateproject.org slash libertyforum. That's freestateproject.org slash libertyforum. Word is the hotel is close to selling out. So probably be a good idea to go ahead and get registered sooner rather than later. And uh, I, I've heard that the uh, the registrations, the numbers have been picking up. The John Stossel dinner, the Michael Badnarik dinner, very popular. So then those are special tickets that are outside of the actual forum. So right. you get your forum pass, and then if you want to go to either one of those banquets, or I think one of them's a buffet style, the other one's more of a banquet style. Uh, if you want to go to one of those, you need to order those separately as well, and uh, those are filling up fast. So, freestateproject.org slash libertyforum. Well, we're going to get to a story here in moments, uh, Mark, that you have about the so-called fairness doctrine. This is something that at one time existed in the United States, and now there's a movement afoot to bring it back. We'll tell you all about it here in moments, but first, to the phones and Justin in Utah. You're on Free Talk Live with Ian and Mark. Hey, Justin. 
Hey, guys. Hey, what's um, up? I was just calling in to talk to you guys about an update on the minimum wage law that was going through the Congress. Mm-hmm. Yeah, are you on a uh, like a VoIP line or something? Uh, yeah. Okay, it's a little bit uh, iffy, but continue. All right. Uh, it actually failed to pass in the Senate by six votes. Correct. I'm not sure if you guys uh, have talked about that yet, but I saw it on Reuters, and so I figure it's pretty reliable. So that's good news for everyone. Yeah, that's good news for now. How did? Uh, don't the Democrats own the Senate too? Uh, yeah, I, they do, but I guess some of them I failed, defected. Failed to vote for it. Yeah. Hmm, interesting. Well, that's good news. I think for it's fifty-fifty in the uh, the Senate. Is it or fifty-one forty-nine yeah. or something? Yeah, like somebody went. Um, somebody got ill or sick or hurt yeah. or something, and and that's very close to fifty-fifty. Justin, thanks for the update, man. We appreciate yeah. hearing from you. Eight hundred two five nine ninety two thirty one. So minimum wage off the table for the time being. But how long till they can bring it back? Well, it's it's an attractive issue. What are the rules with all that? You know, you introduce a bill. How long is it at the federal level before they can reintroduce the same bill? Or can they just change a few words and introduce a bill that's almost identical but for lack of two or three words the next day? Well, um, it's my understanding the Senate sent it back to the House basically saying, unless there's some cuts for small businesses, we're not going to um, approve this. Huh. So they, they've they said that they would approve it. They just want to see small business uh, tax cuts. So one of the other things the Democrats have proposed and is the Fairness Doctrine, bringing it back. Right. The Fairness Doctrine is essentially um, when one party's uh, – Viewpoint is aired aired on either broadcast in, in any kind of broadcast, so it's television or radio. Um, the other party's views have to be um, aired also. So um, anyway, it says Rep- Representative Hitchy, a new bill would um, would break up m- media monopolies and restore the fairness doctrine. Um, he warns that media reform critical to prevent the it would end the democratic republic as we know it. Unless we unless we bring back the uh, fairness doctrine, our democratic republic is going to crash. Oh, down. really? Yeah, ridiculous. Concerns about monopolies. Just I mean, just fear speak for mm-hmm. no good reason. Right. Concerns about monopolies and fears of possible fascist takeover of the U.S. media have prompted a Democratic congressman to push <laughs> to restore the fairness doctrine. This is from the Raw story, but I'm reading it off CrooksAndLiars.com. So if you ask the conservative talk show hosts. It's the liberal media, but if you ask the liberal politicians, it's the fascist-controlled media. Correct. Well, they don't it's like the, the other guy that's in in charge of the media. Well, they're trying to use laws to stop talk radio. Obviously, yeah. the Republicans have a foothold in uh, talk radio. They do, and um, they don't they don't like it. I was just on the phone with a uh, program director, general manager today, and actually, he might be calling in tonight. We could probably talk to him about it. But he has uh, two stations out in Santa Cruz, California. One of them is uh, a conservative talker. The other one is the liberal talker, right? Mm-hmm. And today they just flipped formats on the liberal talker to oldies. Because even though it's Santa Cruz, California, as he described it, it's more liberal than Berkeley in mm-hmm. this place. Even though there's so-called liberals all over the place, nobody was buying advertising. How does that happen? How can a How can a liberal talk station bomb out in one of the most liberal markets in the country. Well, I would assume that uh, people aren't buying advertising because people that had advertised didn't see the results that they wanted to see. It essentially, you know, they just fail as a result. There's there's two things. You've got to get out there and you've got to sell your um, station, mm-hmm. and your station has to perform when you do sell it. 
So if one of those two things isn't working, if you don't have the sales force, um, you know, losing leather on the uh, sidewalks, then yeah. it's not going to happen. And if you don't have, um, if your station isn't reaching enough people, enough people that are concerned about the things that are being advertised, then right. it's still not going to happen. Well, there, it's, it would seem that the station was reaching people, but I, I guess they, they just couldn't get the uh, the state uh, the sales numbers up there. They couldn't uh, pay their bills. I find and it difficult so they to imagine all these. And that's maybe that's one of the reasons they're bringing back the fairness doctrine because uh, maybe they feel like it's unfair that uh, these liberal business people aren't actually stepping in voluntarily to support the the message that they supposedly subscribe to, and so they feel like they have to legislate it. So now they're going to make stations. If this passes, they're going to force stations to cover uh, to air both sides of the issue. Well, um, it, we sort of it sort of gets into this, and and um, I'd like I'm to know what the details. Yeah. Are. It uh, quote from uh, Representative Hitchin here is: If Rush shoots his mouth off, he must give equal access to our side. The American public will begin to get both sides on oh all God. issues, all sides of, or all sides of an issue. Now that's basic fundamental democracy. That's fundamental control. Well, he, you notice how he says both sides or all sides of an issue? Um, mm-hmm. Going on, there's a quote from uh, Taylor Marsh, who I don't know who that is, um, that uh, what do the paternalistic proponents of the regulations mean by the representation of all sides? Mm-hmm. Would the terrorist viewpoint um, deserve equal time? <laughs> don't laugh. Many believe that one man's terrorist is another man's freedom fighter, and liberals routinely sympathize with tyrannical dictators like Fidel Castro and Mahmoud Abajinidad, or whatever that guy from Iran is. You know, it's – I think that it's pretty obvious that if they did pass the Fairness Doctrine, that uh, libertarian viewpoint would be passed over again and again and again. Of course it would. Um, All this is going to do is uh, allow the – you know, just destroy talk radio. Yep. And, that's uh, what they want, right? That's exactly what they want. They're, they tried to get into talk radio and failed. Um, nobody wants to hear liberal talk, apparently. Not enough people want to hear liberal talk. You know what? My One of my complaints has been with the talk radio industry or with the radio industry in general is that they're, they're too deferent to the FCC. If the radio people would just stand up and tell the FCC they've had it with their stupid mandates and their rules and just refuse to follow them, essentially, mm-hmm. um, they could be pretty powerful if they just would choose to do that. They have a 24-7 stick transmitter that they can reach out to people with and, and spread their version of the message. Here, if they pass this fairness doctrine, and I don't know if there's more on this, but if, no, they, this pass this, if they pass this fairness doctrine and they mandate that all talk show hosts cover the other side of the issue, then the talk radio hosts need to stand up and refuse. And the companies need to stand behind them. I know we will. More's on the way. This is Free Talk Live. With your help, we can spread the message of liberty around the world. Consider becoming a Free Talk Live amplifier for just $3 a month now at amp.freetalklive.com. If you can't afford it, keep enjoying us for free. If you can spare the three, visit amp.freetalklive.com. This is Free Talk Live, your show. You take control of the airwaves toll-free at 1-800-259-9231. That's the packet 8.net toll-free line for you. That's 1-800-259-9231. You can join us on our website at freetalklive.com. Shrine of Female Listeners awaits you. There's uh, dozens and dozens of ladies from around the world that have taken the time to send us a validated photo, which means that in the picture they're proving that they listen to the show. See what I mean by heading over to shrine.freetalklive.com. That's shrine.freetalklive.com. Birthdays and anniversaries can catch you unawares. 1-800-Flowers.com delivers the same day, any day. 
Call, click, or come in for fresh flowers and gourmet gifts. Use code FTL to save 10% on your next order. That's FTL, 1-800-Flowers.com, your florist to choice. Don't forget Valentine's Day. So we're talking about this really, really bad idea. Uh, it's called the Fairness Doctrine. Right. And I wasn't really, I guess they, what did they, ended in the late 80s? Is that when it was uh, brought to a close? I, I'm not really right. sure. I know that I wasn't really uh, an adult at the time the Fairness Doctrine was in effect, so I don't personally know what it was like, what talk radio was like at the time, because talk radio has existed for decades. Now, it really took off, though. Talk radio really blew up after Rush came about. He He's pretty much the man responsible for uh, invigorating the business of talk radio. And Rush came about, as I understand it, after the Fairness Doctrine. So well, what I've read on the Fairness Doctrine is essentially it just caused stations to avoid political issues. Unless they were doing uh, some kind of interview with a politician, they would bring uh, you know some kind of opposing politician on to talk to uh, talk about it. Perfect timing. It is Michael Swirling from KSCO out in Santa Cruz, California. Michael, you're on Free Talk Live um, with Ian and Mark, and I presume well, here we're we are on the air on 35 Tuesday. minutes past 4 p.m. Hour number one of the He's afternoon drive happy hour program. MZ sitting in the seat here along with you guys and honored to be with you because uh, you guys do a great job for us. And, and we're in the process of uh, building something new right here in the afternoon drive. Um, and um, on, the, uh, on the phone here, we are connected with uh, a, a living room uh, 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 in-house studio uh, for a radio broadcast that started out, um, well, it started out as a podcast, actually, uh, a while back, and now it's become a broadcast. It's called Free Talk Live, and the main uh, host and, um, and power behind, uh, power of, uh, the, the, the throne, the king himself of Free Talk Live <laughs> is a man named Ian Bernard, who um, is actually on the air uh, doing his three-hour program and doing what I'm sort of struggling to do for the first time ever here. He does this every day, just like you guys do. So let's bring him on and say hello. Hello, Michael. Yes. Hello, Ian. How you doing? Hey, doing good. We've got Mark here, of course. Uh, yes, so we do. Always... Ian and Mark. Okay, hey, good. You guys, uh, you guys are, are taking new media uh, into the realm of old media now, now aren't you? Th- that's true, and, uh, and this is a bit of experimental radio tonight. I mean, what we've essentially got going here is two live radio shows connected together um, yep. via technology. But a point of quick clarification on your intro. Uh, Free Talk Live didn't start as a podcast. Free Talk you know, Live... as I was saying that, I was remembering that you started in Sarasota, Florida on yeah, radio. We started as a radio show. In fact, the same day that we started doing the radio show, we started also putting MP3s online. So we were actually sort of podcasting before there was such a term. We were before the term had even been coined. Exactly. You're talking about 2002, I think. Yeah, that was 2002, late 2002. We're rather big fish. Rather big fish in the the minuscule little pond of podcasting. Right. And so who told you about podcasting, and, and why are you as excited about it as you are and, and as I am? I think it was probably um, a couple of our co-hosts, uh, one of them, uh, or both, I think you had the pleasure of meeting at the Podcast Expo last year. Um, he suggested the idea to me, and I, at first, the first time I heard it, I sort of like, oh, what do, we, what do we need to do that for? We already have MP3s. And then he explained to me that it, uh, the podcast is essentially a, a device that delivers the MP3s to the user. So it essentially removes a step, because people had been coming to our website to download MP3s of, of the show at freetalklive.com. 
um, the, the podcast simply allows them to click a button in their little podcast retriever program, and it just automatically sucks them down from our website. So it really just a, it was just a matter of reducing the, uh, the, the steps in between the, list, the Internet listeners getting their hands on the show. Well, I'm sort of a techie guy. You guys are obviously techie guys. And when I first uh, heard the term, I got pretty excited when I understood what it was. But a lot of people say, hey, MZ, you know, you, it's, it's a flash in the pan. There's never, it's never going to, nothing is ever going to replace live, real radio. And, and I believe that, too. I, but I, I do. do think, yeah, and, which is why you guys have now jumped into the world of real broadcast radio, and you're seeking affiliates, and hopefully, you know, we'll become affiliated in one way or another with your program. I think you guys are great because you're young, you've got a lot of... Uh, You've got a lot of energy, and um, what you're doing, I, I really salute you. I think it's fantastic. You and know, Michael, um, you actually stepped into the show here tonight on our side, right as we were getting into a discussion about the Fairness Doctrine, and I thought, you know, this is perfect timing. Michael's Whirling calling in from, uh, from Santa Cruz, somebody who's been in the business for a long time. Uh, 16 years, the end of this month, officially. Yeah. 16 years in radio? 16 years in the business as a radio, as a broadcast station owner. Oh, it's owner. Uh, the station KSCO is located in Santa Cruz, California. It's a 10,000-watt station with our sticks, our, our towers in a lagoon that the engineers all tell me uh, gives us the effective coverage of a 50,000-watt radio station. Yeah, it absolutely KSCO does. over a third of California in the daytime. Yeah, it's, you can. It's if, an if awesome it's in, station. If it's in a saltwater lagoon, sure you yeah. can. Now, what I was talking about, before we jump into the Fairness Doctrine, I had actually mentioned your other station, KOMY, I believe, which right. you told me today on the phone that they, uh, that they just flipped formats because they were the Air America format, and you couldn't make it work. The, the yeah. sales just weren't happening in all That's places, right. Santa Cruz, California. What, what exactly. went wrong? And we, uh, we, gave it, we gave it the old college try. We gave it uh, 18 months plus. Uh, we started on uh, Jan uh, July 13th, uh, excuse me, July 18th, uh, 05, and just pulled the plug this morning. Now, MZ, did, did you have a, a separate sales force for the two stations? or was No, it... and maybe that was the problem, but you still wouldn't think that even, even without a separate sales force that, um, that we, we, we wouldn't have come up you know, totally empty-handed. We actually got a phone call to one of our local shows about two or three months ago uh, where a, a, liberal, a person who identified himself as a liberal businessman said on the air, live, to our host at the time. He said, I am absolutely thrilled that Air America is, is available on the central coastal area of California, mm -hmm. courtesy of KOMY. But i got to tell you, I know that KOMY is owned by someone who also owns a very conservative Rush Limbaugh station. It's a conspiracy! There is no way in the world that I would... Well, he, came, he actually said it on the radio. I didn't like hearing it, but I, I applaud the guy for being honest. He said there's no way in the world that I'm going to put a dime in Michael Zwirling's pocket consciously because wow. somehow it's going to get into Rush Limbaugh's pocket. That is amazing. <laughs> and so that hit me right then and there. Uh, I have a clip. I have an audio clip. I don't have it with me right now, but if you guys are interested, I'll email it to you sometime. Five weeks into this format change back in 2005, when we installed Air America on our KOMY station, <clears throat> um, there was a local Santa Cruz, news, Santa Cruz Sentinel newspaper story about five weeks into it because they called and said, how's it going? And I said, well, yeah. it's pretty popular. There's a lot of people who thank us for listening. I get lot, tons of emails and faxes and 
accolades and phone calls and things mm-hmm. saying thank you, thank you, thank you, but we haven't been able to sell a single ad in in wow. um, in five weeks. Are you exaggerating? Time. A single I am not ad. exaggerating. I'm not. Listen, why in the world would I want to shoot my own station in the foot, guys? Right. Come on. I mean, God, you know, be that's serious. Amazing. So now with the failure. And so of, wait a minute. Listen. Yeah. To me. Listen. To, this is very. This is a very interesting story. So um, they wrote this story in the Sentinel. Uh, they interviewed me on a Wednesday, and and on on uh, on Monday, uh, one of our guys at the radio station calls me. He says, "Z, are you listening to Rush Limbaugh? No, he's talking about you. He's talking about us." And Rush Limbaugh gets on the radio and says, "There's a story on the stack. Uh, there's a radio station owner in Northern California. He's a good guy. I know the guy, uh, and he he has two stations. One is led by me, and one is led by Air. Michael, if you can hang on, I want you to finish the story. We've got a hard break. We've got to take. I don't know if you can take a floater there in California. We can take a floater. We can take a floater because we're not hard yet. All right, hang (laughs) on, Michael. Michael Swirling. He is the uh, general manager owner of uh, KSCO Radio out west in uh, California land. We're going to come back with more of him and uh, talk about the fairness doctrine coming up. This is your show. It is Free Talk Live. This is Free Talk Live. It's your show, and you can take control of the airwaves toll-free at 800-259-9231, the packet8.net toll-free line for you. That's 1-800-259-9231. Ian here with you. And Mark. You can join us on our website at freetalklive.com. All the features on the site are totally free, and that does include the wiki, wiki.freetalklive.com. It's like the listener-editable version of the website, so head over to wiki.freetalklive.com to get interactive there. We are engaging in a bit of uh, experimental radio tonight, uh, which I like to do from time to time. Somebody comes to me with an interesting idea for something a little unusual, something a little bit different. Uh, I say, sure, let's give it a shot. And so that's what we're doing uh, with Michael Zwirling. He is the owner, general manager, all in uh, the boss, the man in charge over at uh, KSCO Radio. out And at, the afternoon drive host. At, right for now, yes he is, uh, out on the West Coast in uh, Santa Cruz, California. And do we have Michael back? Them, which we probably can't even hear ourselves. Michael, and it's they're going to go. I think we're uh, I think we're still on hold over uh, on their side. It's kind of interesting trying to get two radio shows to you know work out their uh, clocks together, which is the essentially the the device that runs the show, the piece of paper that determines when the commercial breaks are and and everything. Let's uh, let's try Michael again, see if he's uh, if he's back. Michael uh, Zwirling. For eons, grown to depend on sound. Sounds like they're taking calls. <laughs> Well, anyway, we'll uh, we'll come back to him uh, in mere moments. I, I want to hear the rest of his story about Rush. Yeah, <laughs> we're going to get that. I presume our board operator is monitoring uh, the line, so we'll know exactly when to have him back. When he's ready to come back, uh, just bring him right up. Okay, board op, 800-259-9231. Just a little bit of history on the uh, the fairness doctrine, something we've been discussing this hour. I want to get Michael's uh, opinion on it here in moments. According to Wikipedia, the doctrine was enforced throughout the entire history of the FCC until 1987. Critics of the Fairness Doctrine believe that it was primarily used to deny a forum for political opposition. In a Supreme Court case in 1969, the Supreme Court upheld the constitutionality of the Fairness Doctrine under challenges that it violated the First Amendment. Although similar laws had been deemed unconstitutional when applied to newspapers, the court ruled that radio stations could be regulated in this way because of the limited nature of the public airwave spectrum. Ridiculous. Yep. The FCC under Mark Fowler began to repeal parts of the Fairness Doctrine, announcing in 1985 that the doctrine hurt the public interest and violated the First Amendment. In 86, the Court of Appeals for the District of Columbia Circuit upheld a loose interpretation by a Reagan administration-influenced FCC 
of an aspect of the Fairness Doctrine ruling that Congress, quote, had never made the doctrine a binding requirement. So was it a suggestion the whole time? <laughs> Apparently. The, the fairness suggestion? I bet the people that felt like they had to do it didn't think it was a suggestion. In August of 87, the commission abolished the doctrine by a 4-0 vote. The FCC insisted that the doctrine had grown to inhibit rather than enhance debate and suggested that due to many media voices in the marketplace at the time, the doctrine was perceived to be unconstitutional. And I can absolutely see how something like this would inhibit debate. Because when you have to bring in the opposing side on your own program, whenever you want to make a claim, whenever you make a, a statement, then you're less likely to want to actually make a statement or make an outrageous statement. Make a, make a statement that's going to generate phone calls. You know, if it's interesting and it works, then stations will do it. Because it. you heard how MZ was talking there earlier. He just wants to sell ads. Yeah. He doesn't care what's on his airwaves. He's a conservative guy who's got Rush Limbaugh on. I don't even know if he's conservative. He's a guy who's got Rush Limbaugh on on one station, and he's got Al Franken on the other one. He just wants to sell some ads. Sure. So and if it if having a uh, Hannity and Combs type thing that was actually well matched um, worked, then that's what people would do. Well, exactly. And when there's conflict, it's good. I, I like conflict. That's what talk radio is all about, in my opinion. But forcing the issue, mm -hmm. forcing a, a talk show host's hand is uh, inappropriate. For instance, on Free Talk Live, when we bring up an issue, I want to hear from the other side. I want to hear from somebody that's going to take the alternative position. But th it's on you to call in and take care of that. I shouldn't have to spend my time before the show trying to figure out what sort of opposition uh, representative I can have on the air to counteract what I'm saying. And, of course, then we haven't even touched on the question of how the Fairness Doctrine, if it were brought back, how it would apply to a show like Free Talk Live. Yeah, how would it apply? Would we have to have um, conservatives on when we talked about uh, social issues? And would we have to have liberals on when we talked about economic issues? Would we have to plan our show that it's far absurd. in advance? Because Free Talk Live is freeform. Or do we have to have the most authoritarian of authoritarians on? Because, I mean, is it the opposite or is it just other viewpoints? Because the opposite viewpoint from us is, uh, is essentially a true statist, one who believes that the government should be involved in everything. And why can't the statists go out and make their own show? I mean, we've worked very hard to put this show together. We've put the blood, right. the sweat, and the tears, you, so, you probably more so than me. Um, and, and so why the hell should we have to share this, suddenly bring on some authoritarian who just gets to, you know, I mean, we're clipping along now at 20 miles an hour. We've managed to push this baby up and uh, get it jump started. Mm-hmm. And why should they be able to hop on at 20 miles an hour and, um, and get to ride it all the way to 55 or whatever? Listen to this. Here's one example of two of the corollary rules of the doctrine, the personal attack rule and the political editorial rule, so-called, remained in practice all the way until the year 2000. The personal attack rule was pertinent whenever a person or small group was subject to a character attack during a broadcast. Stations had to notify such persons or groups within a week of the attack. Send them transcripts of what was said. The good Lord. Talk about jumping through hoops. You see, this it, is uh, all this is going to do is uh, it, it's, it's a moneymaker for the transcript business. Because mm. we'd have to transcribe everything we talk about because we might talk about some small group that needs to then be uh, notified. Then I the mean, we don't have transcripts of anything. Then the political editorial rule applied when a station broadcasts editorials endorsing or opposing candidates for public office and stipulated that the candidates not endorsed be notified and allowed a reasonable opportunity to respond. I have no interest. I'll attack virtually any candidate for office. 
And that doesn't mean that I want to give the other candidates airtime. I mean, this is disturbing. This is sick. And it's definitely un-American. And it's a direct result of the FCC's involvement in the radio business. Because if, it, if there were no FCC sitting out there making these silly little rules, or in this case, I guess the Democratic Congress possibly going to bring the rules back and force the FCC to, uh, to, um, to enforce them. If it weren't for the FCC, for this agency that is just sitting out there making rules and enforcing them, then the marketplace would be fully in control of the radio business. You know, the good thing about this is the Republicans will fight this tooth and nail. They realize that they got into power in 2000 based on the fact that um, talk radio existed. I believe talk, I believe talk radio is the reason that uh, George Bush got, you know, managed to squeak by and, and get the presidency, period. Um, I, I, think was thinking, some... I was thinking about, um, I'm influenced by talk radio, mm-hmm. and I was thinking about voting for Bush as over Brown. I didn't get to vote in the 2000 election. I see. Uh, because of moving and that kind of thing. But um, I it was thinking. Because you didn't. I was thinking of voting about um, for Bush over Brown in that election, and I would say that it was, uh, you know, because of talk radio. One eight hundred two five nine ninety two thirty one. As usual, giving you the opportunity to take the opposing viewpoint. If you think the fairness doctrine is a good idea, and you'd like to see it be uh, in, enforced again in the United States, I'd love to hear from you. Eight hundred two five nine ninety two thirty one. The toll free number. What difference would it have made if I voted for Bush in two thousand over Brown? Uh, if you'd voted for Bush in 2000... I mean, what Brown get? 700,000 votes or something? You, should, you would feel really bad about yourself. <laughs> well, I can say I've never voted for him. You know, since we're talking about uh, politicians and political things, still waiting to uh, to hook back up with uh, KSEO out of West, this from uh, Corey, in response to something you claimed last night, you said that Tom Tancredo was a, a libertarian uh, or libertarian-leaning. And this is from On the Issues from Corey Stern. He says, within a few minutes... You'll discover he's a conservative or even worse. Here are a few highlights. Rated 61% by Cato, including a mixed record on trade issues. Rated 7% by the ACLU, indicating an anti-civil rights voting record. Rated 0% by, an NA, by NARL, indicating a pro-life voting record. Rated 22% by SANE, indicating a pro-military voting record. Rated 100% by FAIR, re- indicating a uh, voting record restricting immigration. Voted yes on making the Patriot Act permanent. Voted yes on the $266 billion defense appropriations bill. Real small government guy. Voted yes on emergency uh, $78 billion for war in Iraq and Afghanistan. Voted yes on banning Internet gambling by credit card. And voted yes by protect, uh, on protecting the Pledge of Allegiance. Voted yes on constitutional amendment prohibiting flag desecration. Also voted yes on the constitutional amendment banning same-sex marriage. Also voted yes on prohibiting needle exchange and medical marijuana in D.C., Voted no on prohibiting oil drilling and development in Anwar. Abolished the IRS. Replaced the income tax with the national sales tax. Well, he shows up on the Liberty Index uh, about less than 10 points below um, Ron Paul. That's a big 10 points. That's all I'm saying. And big if, 10 if, points. If you made a list of what Ron Paul did and what he didn't do, just like this, he wouldn't sound very pro-Liberty either. Because this is a, a, this is a um, liber- libertarian-leaning list. Somebody took this to show his bad points, not his good it's points. It's amazing to I'm me not... that you'll back up anybody that's on that RLC list, no matter how much of a scumbag I'm they are. I'm not saying he's a good candidate. They're like a partisan, almost. 800-259-9231. Hour number two is on the way. I don't know if we'll be hooking back up with KSCO. We'll give it a shot, see how that works out. This is your show. It is Free Talk Live. You take control of the airwaves. 
Would you like to help others find Free Talk Live? You can help us advertise, market, and promote the show at amp.freetalklive.com. Consider becoming a Free Talk Live amplifier now for $3 a month and get some cool bonuses at amp.freetalklive.com. This is Free Talk Live. It's your show, and you can take control of the airwaves toll-free at 800-259-9231 as we're launching into hour number two. Ian here with you. And Mark. 1-800-259-9231. You can join us on our website at freetalklive.com. All the features on the site, we give them away. That's, once again, freetalklive.com. So, as always, lots to talk about here tonight on the program. Your calls are primary, if you make them, about anything that you want. But... I found another story, Mark, about one of my favorite topics. Oh, no. Pack rats. <laughs> you do like that, don't you? If a, if a pack rat story pops up in the news, I'm attracted to it. Because I just <laughs> find these people absolutely fascinating. Well, I'm one of them to some extent. I'm you not, are not. I'm not one of these crazy people that uh, saves everything, including like trash. Well, that's what a pack rat is. Spoiled milk. No, that's what the people that are uh, you know at the far end of the pack rat's uh, spectrum. It's but, true. They're, everybody has, uh, they, they hoard to some extent. Everyone does. Right. But there's there's a certain level at where there's a certain point at which it becomes dangerous to your health. Yes, there is. And according to ABC News, we're all pack rats to some degree. We hoard, collect, and buy more stuff than we have room to store. And I also, by the way, want to know if you know a pack rat. Maybe your mom or dad were pack rats. Maybe your best friend is a pack rat. If you've got a pack rat story, uh, 1-800-259-9231. All right, we've got actually Michael's whirling back. We're going to take really? the opportunity to uh, to get him back on here and uh, g- come back on the air with him, even in uh, even though we're in hour number two. Michael, are you there? Yeah, hey, uh, so I'm excited about the, uh, the, the talking about the Fairness Doctrine, anyhow. So quick, what, do you guys, recap, what do you guys though. think? Quick huh? recap, uh, since we're in hour number two, we've got a new audience in here. So Michael oh. Zwirling, you're the, uh, the general manager, the owner of KSCO Radio out on the, uh, out on the West Coast in Santa Cruz, yeah. California. And we're doing a little yeah. bit of experimental radio tonight. You're on the air on the West Coast. We're on the air here on the East Coast and on our affiliates, and we're together on the air right, right now. And we were going to get into the Fairness Doctrine, and um, so I wanted to ask you, since we've been, we were discussing it in hour number one, this, uh, this concept that the FCC, where they mandated for decades, apparently from the very genesis of the FCC, for yeah. decades that, uh, that talk hosts or anybody who airs a political opinion must essentially get the opposing view, or at least give the opposing view, someone who represents that, the opportunity to speak on their airwaves. And it's just a disgusting affront uh, to freedom of speech. And now they're talking about bringing it back. Yeah. Um, let's see, it was in the 80s that it was dropped under the Reagan era. And um, I wasn't really paying too much attention to that. When I got in the radio business in 1990, uh, 1991... Okay, so you just uh, missed it. Uh, pardon me? You just missed out on it then. Right. Uh, so, but I've always, I've always uh, operated my station uh, as if the fairness doctrine was, was in effect. But I, 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 but it's my choice. It's not mandated by the government. See, that's when you say you know, that. How, how dare the government try to legislate something like that? Sure, it really bothers me. When you say you operate your station in that way, what, what do you mean? Um, we, we came up with a um, with a, 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 a statement, a, a motto, a slogan. Finally, a voice for everyone, and we've used that that slogan for many years. Uh, and we would always encourage persons from all points of view. In fact, we had a, a disclaimer that we used to use uh, at the beginning of each of our talk show, uh, following a program as the opinions of the participants only. And sure. you know, please help. Please, if, some, if you hear something with which you disagree, please call to help us balance comment. 
Oh, absolutely. And, that, that, yeah. that's, that's, it's one thing to encourage d- yes. debate, and that's what we do on Free Talk Live. I love it when uh, people with opposing views call in. But sure. it's another thing where the government says, oh, well, uh, Michael, anytime you say anything on the air that could offend somebody else, you have to contact that person or his representatives and give them a week's time to call in and uh, and send them a transcript also of, yeah. of what you said. I mean, it's a, that's a lot more uh, I don't, restrictive. Uh, yeah, it's a terrible thing, and I am concerned that uh, with, the, uh, with the Dems in, in power now that it could come back. If it comes back. I would love to see the talk radio business take a stand against this law, and I understand that it's going oh, to be the GMs. Don't worry, and, don't worry, and it will. <laughs> well, I understand that it's going to be the GMs and the owners that are on the line as far as the responsibility for whatever fines would be levied uh, for any performer that violates this. But I hope that uh, people like you, Michael, will uh, will take will have the courage to essentially stand behind their uh, their shows, their show host, and say, you know what? Forget this fairness doctrine. Uh, we don't care if you passed a law about it. We are we aren't going to play ball. Yeah, um, I will probably be one of those people that you would like. Excellent. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you're a good guy in my book, Michael, and uh, this uh, it's been an interesting oh, experiment you. here tonight. Was there anything you wanted to cover with us? Because I sort of jumped us into the fairness doctrine thing. Did yeah, you want to go into no, that? not not really. You know, I, I want to. I hope to have some time to listen more to you guys here, so uh, you know we can sort of uh, mutually benefit each other. You know. So. Well, as you know, we've got arch. I know you're on the air at the same time we are, but you can always listen to archives uh, later on at Free Talk. Uh, I'm only on these these two days, you know, because we're right. we're launching a. a, a, a new whole drive time thing starting on monday so i'm doing the honors right now but i gotta run because they're calling me <laughs> very good have thanks, fun I michael thanks dude have a good one. bye-bye 800-259-9231 little experimental uh, radio yeah that's kind of interesting all right so we were talking about uh, pack rats we're going to get into that here in moments uh, brett in iowa you're on free talk live with ian and mark hey guys how you doing hey brett what's up well i just wanted to apologize in advance for uh for stealing from you guys stealing both of you yeah um i applied for financial aid for college <laughs> um and you know i i got accepted to iowa state and it's, it's something that i really want to do but um you know uh, to be able to afford it there, there's really no other way for my family to be able to do it so what are you, you know, uh, what are you going to school for if we might ask uh i management information systems is major so it's basically computers it's like, uh, is that databases it's basically it's, it's a business degree, but it uh, has computer science mixed into it. So basically, I'll be the guy like running the IT department. It's kind of what it is. I don't do a whole lot of the geeky stuff. I see. So you won't be a programmer. You'll be more of a right. uh, manager of programmers. Exactly, exactly. Now, so. Brett, when I think about um, government aid and programs and all that stuff, I wouldn't take um, I wouldn't take unemployment simply because it's too much work as far as I'm concerned. I don't know how to do it, and I'm not interested in it. Yeah. I wouldn't take right. welfare. I wouldn't take food stamps. I wouldn't take all kinds of government employment out there. But if I was 18 years old, I think I would take a the Pell Grant simply because oh. go- government has made it impossible for you to get a college education otherwise. It's true, but not impossible. I mean, Difficult. That's not really to me. I, I still feel bad about it. You know, it's, it's not a sure. justification. I, I try to live my life without any type of government help. I don't need help from those scumbags. But mm. you know, I, I guess the other way I can look at it as you know, I've paid so much into this freaking system it's that true. I, 
takes them back out. So. You, could, you could look at it that way, and I would I would totally understand. When I went to college, I wasn't as principled as I am today, and uh, I had um, my community college paid for by the little Florida Academic Scholars Program or whatever too. So essentially, and that wasn't uh, you know that that wasn't a, a loan. That was a that was essentially a grant. And a Pell grant isn't a grant; it's a loan, isn't it? Um, it yeah, it's, it's a loan, but so I. Yeah, I mean, I guess I'm paying it back, but... I thought the Pell Grant was um, a grant. I, I'm pretty sure it's a loan. It's, it's like a loan that has a really low interest rate, as far as I know. Yeah. Why would I they call the the Pell Grant a loan? Uh, a, a They're grant granting you a, a low interest rate. Uh, that seems strange. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know. An extra market interest rate that is uh, supported by subsidy and taxpayer dollars. Well, you know, good luck, uh, Brett, with, uh, with your college career. And uh, when you get done, hopefully we'll see you in New Hampshire. Thanks, man. Thanks for the call. 800. You know what? At least he apologized for stealing the money. <laughs> 1-800-259-9231 is the packet8.net toll free line. In fact, we were talking a little while ago about colleges and if they or if they aren't worthwhile anymore. The statistics show that uh, 50% of people that do go to co- or I don't know, was it 50%? There's a significant chunk of people that go to college that really... They'd have been better off had they just not gone and taken out those loans and gotten into the debt that they got into. Uh, they'd be they'd have been better off if they'd taken that money and put it into uh, an interest-bearing account or put it into investments, that sort of thing. And then uh, the question came up, I think, at that time as to whether or not the high school diploma was really even worth getting because we had somebody call in and, and they were talking about possibly dropping out of high school and getting their GED. Uh, and I think we both sort of encouraged that move. They were in their senior year when they called in. It was like halfway through the senior year. His mom was on his side. She wanted him to drop out and get the GED. And Nigel from Texas emails, and he says... In regards to getting out of high school, I'm a freshman at Cornell, but I don't have a high school diploma. I decided senior year of high school wasn't going to do anything for me, emailed the colleges I was interested in, and got into Cornell early decision. High school diplomas are by no means necessary. Wow. From Nigel. 800-259-9231. Pack rats on the way. Do you know one? Are you one? Share your story. It is Free Talk Live. This is Free Talk Live. It's your show. You bring up anything toll-free, 800-259-9231. That's 1-800-259-9231. It is the packet8.net toll-free line for you, and it's Ian here with you. And Mark. And you can join us on our website at freetalklive.com. Hey, who's the most pro-liberty individual in the United States Congress? Many people would say that it's Ron Paul, and I'd agree. Register now for the New Hampshire Liberty Forum, February 23rd through the 25th, to meet presidential candidate and Congressman Ron Paul, also known as Dr. No in Congress, because he votes no on virtually everything that comes across his desk that is uh, unconstitutional. I love that nickname. And other influential people who support your freedom. So get registered at freestateproject.org slash libertyforum. That is freestateproject.org slash libertyforum. So, once again, getting into the pack rat issue. Do you know a pack rat? Were you raised with parents who were pack rats? Were your friends' parents pack rats? Are you a pack rat? Maybe it's hard to admit, but you can probably tell you're a pack rat if you take a look around the room that you're standing in right now, uh, or maybe the car you're driving in, and if there's crap everywhere, there's a good chance you're a pack rat. (laughs) According to ABC News, we're all pack rats to some degree. We hoard, collect, and buy more stuff than we have room to store. But what if something in our brains made us incapable of throwing things out? 
Jane Aloka and Lorraine Brennan both suffer from a psychological disorder called compulsive hoarding, an urge to hold on to even the most mundane objects, even when they take over their lives. Lorraine Brennan has been hoarding for nearly 20 years. She lives in a two-story house in Massachusetts with her father, son, and fiancé. Most rooms in the house are cluttered, and some are even unusable. The bedroom office that she shares with her fiancé is overrun with stuff they tried unsuccessfully to get rid of at a yard sale. Lorraine's purse is bursting with junk mail and receipts. <laughs> Brennan's hoarding is not only ruining her life, but affecting her entire family. Her son can't bring friends home from school. Brennan and her fiancé, it's probably not because he's embarrassed, but that may be a factor. They but just maybe because fit. they just don't have room. <laughs> Brennan and her fiancé have been engaged for eight years, but he hasn't been able to commit to marrying her because of the clutter. Many hoarders are also compulsive shoppers. Janie, now that's something I didn't know, but it makes sense, I guess. Janie Aloka has, has accumulated so much stuff that she uses her own house as a storage facility and lives with her mother. Oh, my God. I remember collecting and keeping and hoarding things since I can remember, said Aloka. And now I'm just living around the piles and piles that I need to get rid of. I have so much stuff in my house that it's totally unlivable, she continued. There's no place to sit down. I can't even get to the kitchen. I can't have anyone over for tea, even though I have everything for tea. My collecting... <laughs> I've got three sets. My collecting is taking up space where I would normally live. There's a fine line between simple clutter and extreme hoarding. Most hoarders, observers <laughs> really? say, are physically incapable of throwing things out. They can't live in or use rooms like the kitchen for their intended use. They also experience extreme distress from their condition. For instance, uh, my girlfriend, her one of her exes, her uh, his parents were hoarders, mm -hmm. and they stored things in the oven. Stored things in the oven. It's interesting. Um, there were constantly things on the kitchen table. You couldn't eat on the table. Now my mother uh, stored things in the in the uh, inside the oven too. Really? And but it was sort of like a, she used it as a cabinet. So she would put the cereal boxes in there, and I think that she felt that they ke it kept them slightly fresher. <laughs> so okay. the cereal boxes went in the oven, but they were on top of a baking pan. And so when you wanted to use the oven, you slid. Sli Did she, she have up. space on her counters? Yes. Okay. The hoarding is a currently considered a subset of obsessive-compulsive disorder, but that might soon change. New research is finding that hoarding might be a unique disorder completely separate from OCD. Dr. David Tolan, director of the Anxiety Disorders Center at the Institute of Living in Hartford, has devoted his career to studying what goes on inside the mind of a hoarder. He said, quote, At the moment, compulsive hoarding hasn't been fully defined by the psychiatric and psychological communities. One of the things that we wanted to do was understand some of the brain mechanisms behind compulsive hoarding. Now, Ms. Aloka is part of a study that Tolan's conducting to see which part of a hoarder's brain become active when they're forced with making decisions, or rather faced with making decisions. She is hooked up to a brain scan machine and asked to look at pieces of her mail and decide whether she wants them to be thrown out. She must then watch the mail get shredded. At this point, two parts of a hoarder's brain become active. The brain's orbitofrontal co <laughs> cortex is involved in decision-making and causes a hoarder to process this experience as a punishing one. At the same time, the hippocampus of a hoarder actively searches for memories about the object. The hoarder tries to remember the object, what it is, and why they saved it in the first place. By contrast, people without hoarding problems just don't think about the object that much. What we find is that the brain is acting very, very differently when a person hoards, says Tolan. When the person's trying to make a decision about what to throw away, it seems that the person who is hoarding is processing this activity as if it's deeply punishing. 
The person who hoards is going through a very, very effortful search of their memory to try to think of as many things as they can about this item before they make the decision. What this all amounts to, then, is a painful and effortful process of decision-making that you and I might just take for granted. I mean, when we get a bunch of mail in at the mailbox, Mark, it's easy for us to just flip through it and say, junk, 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 and toss it in the, toss it in the garbage. I, I think I, I have this a little bit, and I, I must say that there's if I find something that I think is redeeming about the piece of mail, mm-hmm. I'll hold on to it for a long time. Expecting really? to do something with this piece of paper. Um, now I do have a. After you've opened it, right? Yes. Okay. This is um, now I do have. Uh, I've developed a new mental illness that uh, kind of combats this. I now take everything that will burn and put it in my wood stove, <laughs> so I can recycle it. Because you know, obviously, paper doesn't. Uh, I no, it's not obvious. People don't know this. Hey, they're lying to you about paper recycling. Um, paper, no. You don't recycle that crap, because all it does is, uh, it, it, you know... It creates more pollution to recycle it cr- paper. It creates all create kinds of pollution. Um, bleach, you know, used to bleach out the paper and that kind of thing. So you're so, keeping yourself warm. Yeah, That's I great. recycle it by burning it. In Beth Johnson's clutter workshop in Hartford, hoarders and clutterers practice throwing out possessions they've grown attached to. Johnson also takes her clients on non-shopping or non-acquiring trips to teach them how not to buy things they don't need. And... And man, that really must be a problem because there are certainly – I think there are people that have uh, addictions to shopping that aren't necessarily hoarders. But imagine having both. Imagine having an addiction to shopping and a hoarding problem. Well, that's one problem I don't have is I don't uh, like to go shopping. Shopping addictions, yeah. that's good. Johnson said, I try to help them see the larger picture and how this item won't fit into their life. If you have a jam-packed house, if you're adding to it on a weekly or daily basis, you're basically defeating yourself. Professor of psychology at Smith College in Massachusetts also helps focus uh, focus on hoarders making their homes clutter free. He says one of the things we know about hoarding is that the beliefs the beliefs people have about their possessions are so powerful that it's very difficult to get them out of this behavior. He's the author of the upcoming book Buried in Treasures. If the person throws something away and experiences distress and does it again and again, eventually they won't have that extreme emotional response throwing something away. Frost held a one-on-one session with Brennan to see if he could help her. After a few hours, she was able to throw away receipts and a few pieces of junk. But, as with most hoarders, there's still a long road ahead. Do you see how the IRS fits into this? I don't know. Well, the IRS makes you hold on to receipts. Mm. As a matter of fact... They're encouraging it. Yeah, from what I understand, the IRS doesn't even accept a um, credit card bill as a proper receipt. Hmm. Um, You actually have to have the The actual receipt from the purchase. Um, I don't do that. When I write them off, I use the credit card bill. If you don't like it, tough. Um, but <laughs> One major motivator for Brennan is the possibility of losing her fiancé if she doesn't clean up her home. When asked if she thought he would really leave, she said, I don't want to find out. I don't want to end my relationship. I want to do better. I want to make it work. I don't want to live like this anymore. I really don't. And, you know, that's the first step towards making yourself better is realizing you've got a problem. More on the way. It's Free Talk Live. Are you a hoarder? One of the bonuses you'll get as a Free Talk Live amplifier is access to our classic archives. For just $3 a month, you can become an amplifier, and you'll help us get on more radio stations and MP3 players. Get the details at amp.freetalklive.com. That's amp.freetalklive.com. 
This is Free Talk Live. It's your show, and you can take control of the airwaves toll-free, 800-259-9231, the packet8.net toll-free line for you. That's 1-800-259-9231. It is Ian here with you. And Mark. And you can join us on our website, freetalklive.com. It's a place to go. All of the features you'll find are totally free. And that includes updates. You get signed up for the updates. We'll clue you in whenever there's something fresh to announce. Get on the updates list for free at freetalklive at, uh, rather, updates.freetalklive.com. Or you can go to freetalklive.com. There's a little entry box right there at the top of the page. Easy either way. Updates.freetalklive.com. Let's go to the phones, to the fun. We were talking about pack rats. Let's talk to John in New Hampshire. You're on Free Talk Live with Ian and Mark. Hi, guys. Hey, John. Hey, you put the word out. You wanted anybody that was a pack rat to call in. Anyone who is or knows one, yes. Is that you? And Yes, I am one. And it occurred to me that there's probably a lot of people who are that don't even know they are. Mm. And there's others who are who wouldn't want to admit it. So I said, you know what? I am, and I'll... Call up with confessions of a pack rat. What do you, what do you want to ask me about? <laughs> well, uh, how bad is it? Uh, can are, are there paths in your home where you can't reach certain areas of your house? Uh, no, there's not. And and when you say how bad is it, I lived with my brother and, and two other guys for a while after my divorce. And uh, my brother is a real stickler for everything needs to be in its place, and he's not a pack rat at all, which is funny for two brothers growing up in the same home. Right. But I can tell you one thing. I have no bugs. I don't do dirty stuff. I have, you know, I have piles of stuff, but I don't get dirty. I don't leave trash around and anything like that. That's at one good. time when my brother was really bitching at me, I opened the oven and I said, "Is this your thing from three days ago? Looks like there's you know, four or a week or whatever the heck it was." I said, "There's a little mold growing on it. That's kind of disgusting." Ew. You know that that was years ago. Now, what do you I, save, John? There's a big difference. There's a big difference between being a pack rat and being uh, dirty. Absolutely, there is. There are no bugs in my stuff. Now, what do I, you I, what do you find yourself saving, though, John? Oh, I I have like five hundred or more. I, I don't know between five hundred and a thousand old records hmm. with a turntable. Uh-huh. Most of them I don't listen to. Uh, right. Probably won't again. I have boxes of old documents that I just can't be bothered going through. To you know, most of that stuff these days needs to be shredded. You know, it would take some time. What sort, of, what sort of documents? Uh, I mean, what sort of documents are we talking about? Like old stuff from when you were in school, or I mean, how far back are we talking? Actually, about? I actually the stuff from back in school, some old artwork that I used to do. I actually gave that to my daughter because at one point I was trying to clear some of it out, and I said, you know, a lot of this artwork I have it in my head, and I don't need to be mm-hmm. having it in a box at home. If you want to have it for for whatever purpose. I'm not keeping it. Is there so sensitive information in there to where you couldn't you couldn't just take the box of old papers? I mean, if you don't even know what's in the box and you haven't looked in the box for you know, five years, you probably won't ever need what's in that box. Isn't it possible for you to just take the box and drop it in the trash bin? Yeah, I was wondering these days with uh, you know with the sensitivity of identity theft and and that sort of stuff. Uh, I'm sure there's documents in there. Nothing that I really need. You need to a fire pit, with. then. Yeah, I was going to say, bring it over well, to Mark's well, you know, house. As you were asking that, I was thinking, maybe I should bring it up to the bonfire when we go over to Jim and Lauren's. It'll or, burn or nice. Or to Ed, Ed's place or something like that. Exactly. It'll be therapeutic. Uh, yeah, but I also have guitars. I also have uh, an old ba- a banjo. I don't even play that. Right. Um, I've, I've got uh, the other funny thing. I have this two-bedroom condo that I'm renting. Mm-hmm. And when I moved in here uh, just short of a year ago, it's the first time I had this weird rule. This woman's really crazy. She does not want anything nailed 
to the walls, hmm. which I can understand that having having owned a place, you don't want people to go crazy. Sure, she she doesn't want any nails in the walls at all. So my pictures are kind of uh, stacked up. So it makes me feel a little more confined and a little more like a pack rat because you know, I actually have these really nice pictures that are sitting on the floor. That's a bad idea, though. As a landlord, as a, um, you know, I've done that. And what you're going to end up telling people that they can't um, have nails in the wall, they're going to stick things to the wall with tape. And um, tape, tape will rip drywall. You'd rather have it. It's a heck of a lot easier to put a little finger full of spackle over a hole well, um, yeah. than it is to uh, fix, fix a big rip in the paper of the drywall. Yeah, it seems to me like it's nuts. But it's her rule, yeah, and I agreed rule. to the rules. Yeah. So I have these uh, framed pictures sitting uh, either at the floor level or up on top of a table or, or that sort of thing. Now, so really far, weird John, So it really makes you feel a little more of a pack rat than I might. Like I said, I, I, I've, I've downsized a bit. Um, right. I haven't seen pictures of your place, but judging on what you've said so far, you sound more to me like a collector than a pack rat. Like, uh, pack rats, I mean, the worst of the worst pack rats, they have little, like, rat paths that they can walk on, uh, walk through to get to uh, certain places in their homes. And there's just disagree stuff with that. everywhere. I disagree. I, I think that I a think pack rat's anybody who keeps more crap than they need and that a compulsive hoarder is what you're talking about, Ian. More than you have room for. Can you recall the guy David Souter? There's a name that might come to mind. He's a, a Supreme Court justice. Yeah. yeah. When he was nominated to the Supreme Court... One of the things that they said that the guy was really weird, and it was in the press, because the press went in and looked at his place, mm -hmm. they said they had pathways. Or he had pathways. Because <laughs> I guess he lives alone, and he's, you know, oh, tons wow. of books and papers and everything. They said he had pathways in yep. his place between documents that That's he could the read worst. and all that sort of fun That's stuff. That's the so worst. I, some I of understand. it's fun, but like I said, it, it's not. I, I don't keep trash around. Trash goes out. You know, regularly. Yeah, I was, I was actually surprised at the uh, the ABC News article this time around because we did a pack rat story last year, and they were talking about a lady that kept a cardboard box with rat droppings in it just because she couldn't bring herself to throw it away. I mean, that's oh, just insanity. the insanity. Yeah, that's just the there's extreme. insanity. I've, re I've read stories of people that like collect paper bags or you know yeah. just weird like right now with a record collection you could say well i love lps i want to have this old record collection so i can maybe sell it down the line make a little bit of money off of it or something like that i don't think i think there's a difference between being a collector and a pack rat i think pack rats are people that just take whatever crap they come across and put it somewhere string. when you say pack rats i think of the extreme and like i said i i'm 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 not the extreme but I, but I thought you probably won't that, get that many confessions, so yeah. I thought I would call. But this, I've read stories of people that will not throw away elastics, paper clips. They just keep right. everything. And, and, if and if some you, of it I can understand because you never know when you might need that little bit of string or that elastic. Well, Where is it? But the problem, is, the problem comes in when you can't find it because you've got so much crap. Uh, but the pack rats know. They know where the stuff is from what I understand. They that's have, another funny thing. That's that, they you know, when you read these stories, it's... Uh, you know, they, they say that some of these people, they, they know where everything is. <laughs> it's hard to believe, but uh, they claim it, and uh, I believe they put them to the test a couple times. Yeah, and they can find things quicker because they, they've done these studies, and they say, you know, even looking for a document in a pile of, like, this suitor guy, when he goes looking for a document, he knows where it is. Mm, it's amazing. Funny, funny stuff. It must I, be the I other side. You probably wouldn't get too many calls. 
that are going to admit it. John, so thank you for the call. We appreciate hearing from you. 800-259-9231. It must be the fact that a pack rat can find something in all of their crap must be the other side of how that disease manifests itself. Like the negative side being you keep a bunch of crap all over your house. The positive side being you actually have the ability to totally compartmentalize where everything is. Well, the problem comes in when you have um, other human beings that live with you. Yes. Like I said, I've got this to some minor extent. And, man, I get so upset when my wife goes through some stuff and, and straightens she moves it out. something? Throws th- you know, moves something, throws something away. Mm. I, go, I go out of my mind. Ah! And I, you know, which, what are you doing? It, I, it's just it, it, it's bad news when uh, something gets moved and I expect it to be in that spot. You know, it's, good, it's a good thing that you live with somebody because that probably helps keep it in check to some I would, extent. I would imagine that's true. I remember I was, uh, it was, I guess it was a Christmas time recently, not this year, but about a year ago. My uncle had been uh, apparently smoking some crack, um, as we discovered down the line. We didn't, I didn't know it at the time. That's but very interesting. He was, uh, I thought he was acting kind of funny uh-huh. uh, at, the, at the Christmas get-together, and I just thought it was because he was wasted. Like, I just thought he just had a, way it's too much to drink. It's kind of interesting. You don't think of crackheads going to the Christmas uh, get-together. No, he was, he was there. Okay, and, good. And uh, he was talking about, uh, sort of just babbling about how he loves to uh, t- take, he loves to just sort of meander through his home, because he lives alone, which is full of crap, and he loves to just meander through his home and get lost in his things. Just mm. walk around and Strange thing to say. look at things in his house. Okay. You take control of the airwaves on the way. Your emails, your calls about anything. This is your show. It is Free Talk Live. This is Free Talk Live. It's your show. You bring up anything toll-free at 800-259-9231. The packet 8.net toll-free line for you. Ian here with you. And Mark. 1-800-259-9231. You can join us on our website. At freetalklive.com, all the features, we give them away. Though we do ask that you voluntarily support the show by voting for us. If you head over to vote.freetalklive.com, you can cast your digital ballot for Free Talk Live. It'll take you less than a minute. It makes a big difference for us because it helps keep us in the top ten podcasts of the world. And uh, thanks to those of you who have gone and voted this month, it's a once-a-month process. So if you've yet to do it in January, uh, go ahead and get your vote in now. It's still not too late. Vote.freetalklive.com. Well, apparently the state of New Jersey, Mark, hasn't quite regulated everything yet. <laughs> not, not yet. But they're getting there. New Jersey, according to WCBS Radio, may have unresolved problems with taxes, child welfare, and gangs, but lawmakers are ready to crack down on one perceived danger. Talking on a cell phone while riding a bike. A legislative committee has actually approved a bill that would make it illegal for people to use a handheld telephone while riding a bicycle on a public road. Oh, boy. Hands-free devices would be allowed, and lawbreakers would face fines ranging from $100 to $250. Assemblyman John Brannick, a bill sponsor, said the measure is meant to protect bicyclists and the people that they might strike while riding and yakking at the same time. So, I guess it's okay to... Uh, in their mind, it's going to be okay to take the phone from wherever it is, plug your handset or your headset into it, and dial the phone while riding your bicycle. But actually, holding it up to your head is going to be the violation of the law. Okay, so you can you can use the headset. You can use a headset. Now, this is what uh, 
you know, um, they've done studies, and you're just as distracted with the headset in as with the, um, as using the handset. It's not like it's the conversation, right? That it's not like lifting your arm to your ear suddenly right. causes you to be distracted. It's the conversation, and uh, you know, it scares me because then what comes next? Are they going to outlaw the headsets? Talking on the phone, period. If so, mm. then what? Is it going to be listening to the radio or touching the radio? Touching the radio while driving, mm-hmm. while the car is in motion, you may not touch the radio. Um, kids in the back seat, children must be silent while in the back seat. Right. No turning around. <laughs> Drivers must be in a, a clear uh, plexiglass cube while in the car so no one can talk to them. Drivers must not turn their head any more than ninety degrees to each side from the straight ahead. Yeah, it, you know, and it just it it distracts for i know my uncle got a ticket one time for eating a cheeseburger while driving wow because he didn't have both hands on the wheel i generally drive with one hand on the wheel sometimes i have both but uh, so what now i understand where they're coming from in that talking on a cell phone while being on a bicycle certainly seems to be a little bit more as far as uh, risk is concerned risky than a uh, than a car because at least in a car you can sort of you, know, you can use your knees to hold the steering wheel. On a bicycle, your legs are in motion, and you've got to have at least one hand on the uh, the handlebars. Having another hand away doing something else certainly seems dangerous. But if someone wants to take that risk, I think the uh, you know that that should be incumbent on them. If they do damage, they should be be responsible for that damage, and that should be where it ends. We don't need to have bike cops out um, ch- chasing people down because they've got a phone to their ear. Well, um, the enforcement of your rule can get a, can get a little difficult. Suppose I, I don't know, run into somebody and hurt them mm-hmm. while I'm on the bicycle. I, I think I, it seems unlikely. Um, bicycle accidents uh, with pedestrians have got to be pretty rare. You but think? suppose that it's done. Um, then I have no license plate on my uh, bicycle. Mm-hmm. So if I decide to uh, hit and run, as it were, I'm going to run at you know 20 or 30 miles an hour. But... So I get on my bike and I I pedal away. Well, the pedestrian can't catch me. Right. Um, and they could shoot you, uh, assuming they were armed. Um, and I suppose that that's probably their only recourse because yeah. if they call a cop, assuming they have a cell phone handy, they call a cop. The cops aren't going to be there in time to catch the runaway bicyclist. No. I'm going to be gone. And um, and essentially, there's a guy on a red bicycle. He's white and he has brown hair. Mm-hmm. And he just hit me and my my leg is broken. Hmm. I mean, just enforcement is difficult. It sure is. In that case, are you advocating for license plates on bicycles? Am I? Yeah. I'm not advocating for anything. I'm just telling you that there's some oh, problems. Well, because with the you support license plates on cars, why not support license plates for bicycles? I don't for the have same a, reason. I don't have a problem. You should be consistent in your tyranny. I don't have problem with the uh, license plate. You know, it's the government's road. I'll admit that there's a lot of problems with it, but it's the government's road. And if they want you to have a license plate on your car to it's drive, the government on it, sidewalks. Yeah. So what if they want to have a license plate for bicycles now? I'm not for it. This would be, I mean, this could be the first of many regulations to control bi- uh, out-of-control bicyclists. Anyway, the fines could range from 100 to $250. The assemblyman says it's meant to protect you, bicyclists. Quote, that is, in our judgment, a danger to pedestrians as well as to the bicyclists themselves due to the fact that they now have one hand on the handlebars, they're talking to someone, and they're on a public highway. Now, I've got to say that a, a driving, uh, riding a bike with a cell phone has to be a really windy, windy experience. Right. How you could even have a conversation. I, I don't know. I mean, it seems like this is, this is a problem that takes care of itself. 
that's what I would think. But somebody introduced this bill because they perceived it as a problem. The bill among six, oh my gosh, the bill among, <laughs> uh, uh, among 6,928 bills introduced this session by New Jersey lawmakers was given the nod Thursday. Get out of that state. Gosh, if you're somebody that even loves liberty a little bit, what are you doing there? Is given the nod Thursday by an assembly public safety panel and can now be considered by the full assembly. The Senate has taken no action on the idea. The owner of Knapp Cyclery says it's a waste of time. His store takes people out on weekly group rides, and Garrett said he can't recall anyone talking on a cell phone while riding a bike. He says, I wouldn't say it's a problem. You can't breathe and talk. It's absolutely ridiculous. In 2005, 784 people were killed, including 17 in New Jersey, and 45,000 were injured in bicycle crashes in the United States, accounting for 2% of traffic fatalities, according to the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration. An agency spokes bureaucrat said no statistics are kept for crashes involving cell phones and bikes, probably because there aren't any. The Remick, statistics or the crashes? That, the, the crashes, I would Oh, guess. no, there are crashes. Um, there are probably not a lot of... Uh, two-party crashes. I mean, bicycles hit the ground, hit things. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't usually hit people, generally. I mean, usually if you on a bike, you're nimble enough that if you see the opportunity to hit somebody, you're going to hit something, something else. else. Yeah. You know, you're going to run into a hedge. You're going to drive off the side of the road. So if you, you've got a cell phone in your hand, you can't ring the little bell on your handle. Ding, 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 ding. Uh, Bramnick admitted that he also has no data on injuries caused by distracted riders. He called the cell phone biking bill a common-sense proposal. Based on observations he and others have made in the more densely populated communities, not all legislators are eager to support the measure. Quote, as my father used to tell me, you can't legislate common sense. And that's exactly what this bill tries to do, as the legislature has already tried to do on so many other occasions, says, uh, says another representative. Both, of, uh, both the, the person who sponsored the bill and the person who's opposing it here are both Republicans, by the way. Is anyone dumb enough to use a cell phone in a dangerous manner while riding a uh, bicycle? Really is going to be smart enough to know about or pay attention to some legislator's new law? Seems unlikely to me. I think he's right about that. Yeah, I would agree. It was unclear Friday whether legislators might take more action on the bill or when they would take up other proposals offered by lawmakers. Those included declaring September Hand Washing Awareness Month. (laughs) This is one of the 6,928 laws that they're potentially going to... uh, to pass. I think that there should be awareness about hand washing, but I don't think I want our politicians spending any <laughs> other time month. on it. A God. whole month of the year dedicated to uh, making you aware of washing your hands. Is that what does that tell you about the people in New Jersey? You got a apparently there's an epidemic of people not washing their hands in Jersey. No. I guess it makes sense. It's the garbage state after all. Please, it's this. It's the it's the same in New Jersey as it is in any place else. The legislators are just out of control there. Yeah, they really are. I wonder what the. Uh, I, I wonder if we went around the country. And looked at the statistics. I, I don't know if anyone's ever done this, but looked at the statistics on a state-by-state basis. And I understand population would probably be a factor. It might have to be done on a per capita sort of calculation. But yep. how many bills per capita are they introducing in each state? Like here in New Hampshire, I think it's like 900. In New Jersey, 6,900. In other states, who knows? California, I can only imagine. New York, uh, New York State, probably a large amount. Uh, who, who, what states have the highest incidences of uh, new legislation? I would say the largest ones. True, but but on a per capita basis, I wonder what the answers would be. I don't know. Eight hundred two five nine ninety two thirty one allows you to take control of the airwaves. David, I think, emails in. 
says, I've been listening to your show for some time. Except for your harsh view of Christianity, I really enjoy your show. By the way, we're not harsh towards all Christians, just towards the Pharisees, the ones that want to force their way on others. The rest of them, I'm cool with. Well, we we aren't big fans of religion in general. I mean, we think that the idea is that you are an atheist, and I believe that there's a god of some sort, but neither one of us are fans of... You're a deist, right? Uh, you know, it's difficult to put some kind of label. Deist is fine. Hmm. Um, but, you know, I just basically believe there's a God. He says, I really enjoy your show. been thinking about the possibilities lately. You were talking about how the government would not move in to arrest a couple of tax protesters until they've waited out most of their supporters. He says, what chance does a voluntary organization have against a violent one? We'll explore that on the way in hour number three. 800-259-9231 is the toll-free packet 8 dot net line for you hour three is coming up this is your show it is free talk live so you take control of the airwaves our archives website and podcast will continue to stay free but if you think other people deserve to hear this show consider becoming a free talk live amplifier for just three dollars a month at amp.freetalklive.com help free some minds visit amp.freetalklive.com This is Free Talk Live. We're launching into hour number three, and you can take control of the airwaves toll-free at 800-259-9231. That's the packet 8.net toll-free line for you. 1-800-259-9231. Ian here with you. And Mark. And you can join us on our website at freetalklive.com. All the features, we give them away. The other talk show hosts in the world, they want to charge you. Those other radio talk show hosts want to charge you for their websites. We do it for free at freetalklive.com. We're jumping right into the phone calls here. We'll get back into the email that we started last hour, but we got to go to uh, Matt in Illinois on the amplifier line. Hey, Matt, you're on Free Talk Live with Ian and Mark. Good evening, guys. How you doing? Hey. Good. What's on your mind? Okay. About a month ago, I called you and told you uh, my wife got a ticket for driving on a suspended license because we had an old junker car in the driveway that hadn't been tested for pollution. Right. She wasn't and driving on it. It was just life. there. No, she she wasn't driving that car. She was driving a different car, and they they were waiting outside her work, and they pulled her over, and they got her a ticket for uh, driving on a suspended license. Mm. And her license was uh, renewed or unsuspended about three days later, but she went to court today for the ticket that she got. Okay. And they fined her $175. And there was basically nothing she could do about it except for pay the fine. They told her didn't matter that she didn't know that her license was suspended. Mm-hmm. So they use the old ignorance is not an excuse. And, they love that uh, one. Huh? I said they love that one. Yeah, they they do. They love that one. So she paid the hundred and seventy five dollars, and now the case is over. But now we're one hundred and seventy five dollars light that you know we could use that kids that we're taking care of, and one hundred and seventy five dollars buys uh, quite a bit of groceries still. Yeah. So this, uh, so this was just a matter of a bureaucratic bungle, essentially that uh, you guys had to pay for. That's right. It was there. You know, well, she didn't have any proof that she ever sent in the the sheet that we needed to send in because she didn't send it in uh, registered mail. Mm. So anybody doing any kind of business with the government now has to send anything registered mail so that if anything happens. We can prove that it happened. Right. Because I mean, then if you, don't send it, if you don't send it certified, then the bureaucrats can take the, the mail when it comes in and drop it right in a trash can, and there's no way to ever prove that it actually made it to them. That's right. Otherwise. And that's, 
that's a, a pretty sad state of affairs, if you ask me. Well, our government is a sad state of affairs, and uh, it's and little things like this. I mean, it, when you look at the big picture, there are certainly uh, uh, far more terrible things the government could do. Uh, but little things like this, $175 here, Mark, you had like a $200 speeding ticket over you know, a few weeks ago. It's these little things that really add up on people, that really get them to the point where they say, what in the heck is going on with this country? We have lost our minds in America. And then finally you're, you end up saying, I ain't going to pay any taxes, and you end up holed up in your home. Uh, ready yeah. to shoot any feds that are going to come after you. As is the case with uh, with Ed Brown up in Plainfield, Ed New Hampshire. Brown. Or or you just get fed up with the the crap, and it, to an extent, it could be good for our movement as more people keep getting screwed by the government. Eventually, they might finally come to the realization that this whole government thing isn't what it was cracked up to be, and uh, maybe they'll get angry and uh, decide to become an activist. Maybe even join the Free State Project, move to New Hampshire. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> hey, Matt. <laughs> you can only hope. Thanks for the call, man. We appreciate hearing from you as always. David writes in saying he's listened for a while. Says we were talking about how the government wouldn't move in to arrest a couple of tax protesters until they've waited out most of their supporters. Talking about the Ed Brown situation. What chance does a voluntary organization, says David, have against a violent organization? Can't a group who's willing to use violence, for the the government for instance, simply wait out the nonviolent group? The government need not work to support itself. They simply take what they need. It would seem on the grand scheme of things that voluntary organizations could never emerge with the kind of power required to overcome violent ones. Put another way, doesn't a weak government consensus violent group result in strong criminal organizations? So he he says, what chance does a voluntary organization have against a violent organization? Well, on its face, pitted against one another in a death match, no, no chance. I mean, if you have the government versus some pacifists, the pacifists are going to lose. They're going to die. But that's not what we're trying to do. Uh, We believe that, uh, or at least I do, I believe that voluntary organizations can can defeat the state, but not through violence, obviously. What What we have to do on our challenge is to destroy the legitimacy of the state. Because people don't realize that the state's a violent organization. People that listen to Free Talk Live understand it. People that are in the libertarian movement, for the most part, understand that the state is coercion, the state is force, the government government knows nothing besides force. That's all it is. It's an agency with a monopoly on coercive force, and it uses it on, the, on innocent people, people who've never harmed others. So we understand that just fine. But the trick is getting the rest of America to clue into that. Right. It doesn't seem it it doesn't seem that difficult, but people don't look at it that way. They look at the government as legitimate and their force as legitimate. Whereas if any other organization uses force were to behave in the same way, uh, were to behave in the same way. But if they in most cases um, use force, period, then they're, you know, looked askance uh, like it's terrible. It's awful. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is. It, it is awful. It's not entirely. Uh, like for instance, defensive if force is acceptable, but def- any uh, any initiated force is awful. Right. A bouncer is allowed to use force to get you out of the bar because you're a jerk. Well, and you've been doing bad things. M- perhaps. Um. You know, your your story may be di- may be different, but it's still Their he's bar. employed to protect that bar, yeah. and whatever he says goes. Exactly. So the trick is to get the American people and the people of the world. This applies internationally. The trick is to get the people in your country, the average folks, to understand that government is not a beneficent organization. It's not an organization that 
is uh, wonderful and helpful and, well, it's, it's just beneficial to all society to have this government around. No, a government is dangerous, a government is brutal, a government is arbitrary, and a government is wrong. It's, it's probably best described as a hitman. Um, a government, you know, goes about applying force like a hitman would mm-hmm. or, uh, you know, a bruiser, something like that, in order to get what you want. To those who do not comply. Absolutely. If you comply with their diktats, then the hitman probably won't come after you. Pick your favorite government program right now in your mind. Pick it. Whether it's, I don't have one. It's NASA. Not, not you. Yeah. Everybody else listening. <laughs> um, whether, it's, whether it's NASA, whether it's uh, welfare, whether, whether it's the United States Army, you pick your favorite government program. And I've got to participate in that program because you and a bunch of your friends, i.e. the voters in the United States of America, want me to. If I don't, the government's going to come beat me up. Or That's they're going nice. to take my house away from me. Or they're going to put me in jail. They're going to do something bad to me, like a mafia guy would. Now, it's actually the voluntary... Not to speak badly about the mafia. They've never bothered me. The civil disobedience activists are going to become a critical portion of the entire process of delegitimizing government. And if you look at what Gandhi did, if you look at the writings of Henry David Thoreau, these sort of civil disobedience experts from the past, people that knew knew what they were talking about. Right. They essentially the, the 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 strategy is that when you go out and you engage in civil disobedience, you are then breaking the law or you're violating something the government wants you to uh, some way they want you to stay in line, and the government has to then make a choice. Th- those who work for the government, those agents who work for the government, they then have to choose to either ignore you and allow your civil disobedience to go on unchecked. Which of course is going to sh- to sh- show weakness on their part, right? Or crack down on you with the fullest extent of the law and the violence behind the uh, the violence behind it, and that's what some of these civil disobedience activists are looking for, and they're very very brave uh, in order to do it. Ed Brown up in Plainfield, uh, New Hampshire, he wa- he does not want to go to jail, which means that there's going to be some possible violence that will happen. And that means that Ed Brown could very well be slaughtered in his own home. Now, the media is going to do its best to spin him as a crackpot kook and play it off as though that uh, he's a bad, bad man for not, for not paying his taxes. But if you can get out of the ta- – just if you get away from the tax issue, and for instance, you maybe you have uh, some people coalesce on a state capitol and smoke marijuana out on the front steps of a state capitol, and they refuse to go to jail, and they start getting their heads bashed in by the, the, the state police – then it will become more and more obvious over time as more activists are beaten and harmed by the government that, hey, this government isn't so nice after all. Maybe they're not as uh, beneficial of an organization as I thought they were. Unfortunately, some people's heads are going to have to get cracked in in order to show that, unless we can turn it around otherwise. More on the way. This is your show. It is Free Talk Live. You take control. This is Free Talk Live, your show. You take control of the airwaves toll-free at 800-259-9231. That's 1-800-259-9231, also known as the Packet8.net toll-free line for you. And it's Ian here with you. And Mark. You can join us on our website at freetalklive.com. All the features, we give them away. Listener map included. Head over to map.freetalklive.com to see where over 1,700 of our listeners from around the world are at. Not their exact location, but generally... Uh, where they happen to live uh, and reside. And I think it's a pretty cool feature. So you can explore it at your leisure at map.freetalklive.com. Like everything else on our website, it is totally free. That's map.freetalklive.com. 
Does your company have a bunch of unpaid receivables just sitting out there? Well, try SACL CAI. They do collections in a whole new way. SACL knows that the way they treat your customer reflects on you. They record every customer interaction so you can check their work. Let SACL CAI handle any or all of your account's receivable needs. See their banner at freetalklive.com or call 1-800-544-6359. That's 800-544-6359. Do business with businesses that support Free Talk Live. So then, Mark, uh, I got an email the other day from the Advocates, oh, excuse me, not the Advocates, uh, Small Government News, the Center for Small Government. We've had Carla Howell on right. in the past. And I figured that this was going to be, I, th- I thought this was a nice little article. It's called The Ten Critical Ingredients to Ignite Small Government Campaigns. And I thought it might be a nice little refresher course uh, for those Republicans out there who at one time claimed to be for small government. Uh, you know, the Republicans back in the 1990s got in charge of uh, of the, the federal government, and they had then themselves their contract with America. Yeah, you remember that crap? It was great. It was all sorts of It was a bunch promises. of lies is right. what it was. All sorts of promises about making government small again. And that's how these guys get elected time after time. Well, it seems like when they actually do get elected, they forget all of their principles. In fact, some of the uh, some of the Republicans were even lamenting that. After they had been displaced in the recent election, right. they were lamenting, oh, we'd forgotten that we'd lost our way in the darkness. We'd <laughs> forgotten our principles, but we swear we're back on the horse now. <laughs> and now that we're out of power. I'll never drink again, honey, I right. swear. Now that we're out of power, we are going to be small government guys again. And pr- I, we promise you, Americans, we promise you that as soon as you give us the reins of power again, we will and they stick will. to principle. We'll do it for real this time. It's time for the second contract with America. <laughs> and uh, so I figured that maybe... It's time for the, the blood oath with America. <laughs> maybe they needed some tips. Maybe they, had since they'd lost their way, maybe they need to actually have it spelled out for them as to how to make government smaller. And the good people at the Center for Small Government have done some serious thinking about this and how you can actually do it. So with that said, Carla Howell, most uh, say poll after poll shows that most Americans think government is too big, uh, too big. They want to shrink the size of government. Our best shot at advancing small government is to run campaigns, ballot initiatives and candidates for office that feature bold small government proposals. Those proposals must actually shrink big government while appealing to the voters who want small government. What kind of proposal serves this purpose? One that contains all ten critical ingredients. Number one. It must substantially reduce the overall size of government. A small government proposal, if enacted into law, actually shrinks big government. This might sound obvious, but if you pay attention to what candidates propose today, including those who claim to oppose big government, most are absent any means to make government small. thing I'm thinking of right away, the fair tax. Yeah. Does nothing to make government smaller. Nothing at all. In fact, it increases the size of government because it actually creates a new bureaucracy to uh, administer the welfare portion of the fair tax. So you think the IRS wouldn't shrink if they didn't have people to go the over all those awful... The fair tax doesn't actually get rid of the IRS, as I understand it. I see. Uh, this may, so a true small government proposal substantially reduces the overall size, scope, authority, debt, taxes, and or spending of government. Dramatic, simultaneous cuts in both taxes and spending are obvious targets. Number two, it must remove big government programs, not transfer them to other government bodies. Some proposals merely transfer governmental involvement from one level to another. For example, advocates make a case against the federal minimum wage. They rightfully explain how minimum wage laws cause the poorest workers to lose jobs. 
Then they suggest the states can take up the minimum wage if they want to. It's just not the proper role of a federal government. But laws of economics apply just as much to state government as they do to the feds. Transferring a federal agency or regulation to the state level keeps big government big. Well, uh, but a legislator um, in the federal government wouldn't have any control over whether the state did it or not. So I think it's fully legitimate for the legislator, uh, for a legislator in the um, federal federal government, to say, "Look, this is a job of the states if they want to do it." I don't. But they shouldn't the st- be saying that. They should just uh, talk out against the minimum wage and leave it there. There's no point to encourage the states to create their own minimum wage. In order to make government small, we must end big government involvement altogether. Number three, remove the big government program. Do not replace it with a new, improved government program. (laughs) Other proposals attempt to merely change the form of a big government tax, regulation, or program, like the fair tax, without reducing the government's overall size. For example, a self-proclaimed advocate of liberty calls for eliminating one tax and replacing it with a new tax. He somehow thinks that Congress and state legislators need his help to do what they're already very, very good at, coming up with new taxes. Trust me, politicians don't need our help. By making it easy for them, we squander an opportunity to get rid of the tax altogether, to cut budgets, and to put that money back in the pockets of the taxpayers who earned it, to permanently remove tax revenues from big government's coffers. As the late great presidential candidate Harry Brown used to say, quote, end the income tax and replace it with nothing. Just you keeping your money. Why aren't people making these proposals? Why aren't people proposing these ideas today? Number four, match each tax cut with an equal spending cut. Match every spending cut with an equal tax cut. Some proposals offer no reduction in the overall size of government because they only address one side of the equation, either taxes or spending. As Wayne pointed out last night, George Bush allegedly cut taxes during his first term. But he didn't cut spending. That's true. It doesn't make any sense to cut taxes and not cut spending. It's like taking a lower-paying job and just spending just as much as you did at your higher-paying job. But it makes sense from a PR perspective because people don't think about those things. All they hear is, George Bush is cutting taxes. And, of course, the Republicans uh, Republicans cheer. Yay! Cutting taxes! They don't think about the the spending portion. And the Democrats, of course, just get angry because taxes are being cut. If politicians cut spending in one area, they brag about their prudence, then go and spend all the money they freed up in another area of government. They almost never cut taxes and give it back to the taxpayer unless we rally for it in the initial proposal. We must lay claim to those freed up funds on behalf of the taxpayer and take them out of the hands of big government politicians. Therefore, every spending cut proposal should include a commensurate tax cut. Likewise, a tax cut without a commensurate cut in spending keeps big government big. Without a mandate for lower overall spending, big government politicians will pretend that we intended our tax cut to merely end a particular form of tax. They'll seek to replace that with a new tax. But they might call it a fee instead of a tax, which is a favorite ploy of Massachusetts ex-governor and presidential hopeful Mitt Romney. They may close loopholes and start enforcing tax collections that were not previously enforced, which is another favorite of his. They'll go after smaller groups that don't have as much voting power, such as businesses. Smokers. There you go. One way or another, without a mandate for less overall government spending, politicians will find a way to squeeze more money out of taxpayers every time. Therefore, every tax cut proposal should include a commensurate spending cut. True small government proposals never make it easy for politicians to keep big government big. Campaigns are an opportunity to create a mandate for small government, and we should exploit them at every turn to make government small. More on the way and more tips 
for actually making government smaller. It's possible. Free Talk Live. With your help, we can spread the message of liberty around the world. Consider becoming a Free Talk Live amplifier for just $3 a month now at amp.freetalklive.com. If you can't afford it, keep enjoying us for free. If you can spare the three, visit amp.freetalklive.com. This is Free Talk Live. It's your show, and you can bring up whatever you want toll-free at 800-259-9231, the packet8.net toll-free line for you. 1-800-259-9231. It is Ian here with you. And Mark. And you can join us on our website at freetalklive.com. All the features, we give them away, and that does include the live streams. There's a broadband version of the show and a dial-up version as well, and they're both for free. And freetalklive.com. Register now for the New Hampshire Liberty Forum, Attaining Economic and Personal Freedom in America's Freest State. This three-day event, February the 23rd through the 25th, 2007, will be held convention-style in historic Concord, with some of the program taking place in the State House. Register now at freestateproject.org slash libertyforum. That's freestateproject.org slash libertyforum. You know, they got a mention in the uh, Boston Globe today. Sweet. Yeah, it's big time. Nice. That's good to know. Um, free publicity, always good. 1-800-259-9231. We're talking about the 10 critical ingredients to ignite small government campaigns. But there are also, I think, 10 suggestions, really, more uh, as to how to create real proposals to make the government smaller. Real small government ideas. Because apparently the Republicans just don't even understand small government anymore. They got into office and they made government bigger than even Bill Clinton could have possibly have dreamed of over the last few years. That's the truth. The increase in government has been tremendous since the year 2000. And so it just seems like they maybe need a refresher course. So for any Republican politicians listening to the show, or anybody that wants to uh, take a small government tact and uh, advance small government ideas, here are some concrete suggestions as to how to do it. I think they need a roadmap because they're not very good at it. It's simple, too. These aren't hard to get. They had the contract with America, and then they got in power in 2000, and uh, man, did they swerve off the highway. So, to once again dissuade them from this continuing path towards tyranny, path towards big government, I want to recap the first five uh, that we've been through. It must substantially, these uh, a small government proposal... And many of them uh, have been made on their face. They sound small government. They sound good. But they have to contain all of these elements, according to the Center for Small Government at centerforsmallgovernment.com. Carla Howell, number one, the proposal must substantially reduce the overall size of government. Number two, it must remove big government programs, not transfer them to other government bodies. Three, remove, big government, uh, remove the big government program. Do not replace it with a new improved government program. Four, match each tax cut with an equal spending cut and match every spending cut with an equal tax cut. You th- you're saying to yourself, basic, understandable, easy to, easy to get concepts, but they apparently don't get it. So that's why I'm outlining it here for them. Now there's six more. Number five, small government, every issue, every time. Small government plus one exception equals big government. That's why a true small government proposal never includes any expansions of government in any form whatsoever. No additional spending, no new or increased taxes or revenue for the government, no expansion of government authority, no new debt, no new government assets, and no new government obligations. Small government, every issue, every time, no exceptions, and no excuses. And uh, the Center for Small Government has an excellent uh, small government pledge 
that candidates and individuals, but candidates can go and actually sign that will essentially say, I will vote small government every time, no exceptions, no excuses. And I think it's a pretty valuable tool uh, for anyone who's serious about running a small government candidacy. Because uh, then you've pledged, and uh, if you go against your word, you're a liar. Number six, small government actions, not just opinions. A true small government proposal is real. It's not a vague idea. It's not something that a candidate wants, agrees with, or thinks is a good idea. It's something a candidate promises to act on if elected. True small government candidates pledge to take specific action to implement the proposal. They promise, for example, to sponsor legislation, to vote for a bill, sign a bill into law, and or exercise other authorities of the office that they seek to get the proposal enacted into law. Number seven, broad-based benefits. The most effective small government proposals are broad-based enough to benefit a large percentage of the voters in a federal, state, or local election. A lot of potential voters are therefore motivated to go to the polls and vote for it. Yeah. It's, you know, you've got you to help a bunch of people. If you just, all of them are obscure little rules, and it's not going to be very helpful. You've got to get them motivated. For example, ending a state or federal income tax benefits the majority of voters. That'd be huge. As and, a matter of fact, um, you know, the, the study just released basically that the, uh, the wealthiest states are the ones that don't have income taxes. It's true. In fact, Carla Howell, who wrote this article, was behind the initiative to, uh, it was a ballot initiative, in Massachusetts to end the state income tax. They actually got that on the ballot in Massachusetts, of mm. all places. And the real kicker, despite the uh, somewhat lack of media attention, that it did get some attention, but despite uh, – um, well, I can't, you can't call it a media blackout, but it didn't get as much as maybe it should have, and she certainly didn't get the airtime that she should have to, pr- to promote it. It got 45% of the vote. Wow. Well, so, people, don't want, don't, people don't like to pay taxes. In contrast, curtailing eminent domain, while a good idea, directly benefits only a small handful of voters who face an imminent threat of property seizure. This alone won't serve to substantially reduce big government, nor motivate a lot of voters. Number eight, big benefits. Unless it's hit the media, just like uh, the, the the New London thing did. And you're capitalizing on that? Yeah, if you're capitalizing on it at that time, I think that's a good time to, to pass that. Small government proposals are bold and offer the, adva- uh, the average voter substantial direct benefits. They have as much appeal as getting a big pay raise or winning a modest lottery. Voters are much more likely to mark the date of the election on their calendars, register to vote, and show up at the polls. If the candidate or ballot initiative were to win, voters will win big in that they get to keep their money. For example, ending the federal income tax would put $10,000 back in the pockets of the average taxpayer every year. That's worth voting for. In contrast, reducing a tax rate by a small percentage might give back the average voter as little as $25 every year. This offers a very weak incentive to vote. Now, what she's talking about here I think is so important. As somebody who is, uh, has managed a campaign in his past, and as somebody who probably will manage one uh, in, in the future, it's important to me for, for my candidates to take dramatic, uh, to make dramatic proposals like this. Not some wimpy, mealy-mouthed, mama's boy, teeny little reduction in government, but something that is really going to draw attention by both the voters and the press. Something that appears on its face to be radical, but when in fact it's actually a sensible idea, like getting rid of the federal income tax. Most people would look at that and say, what? But yeah, that's a wonderful idea, because then individuals get to keep the money they earn and spend it in the ways that they feel is best. And all of these proposals, these radical proposals, can very easily be uh, t- translated into language that the average voter can understand. And making a radical proposal like that 
making a proposal for a drastic cut in government taxes and spending is going to get you the attention that you're looking for. It's going to separate you from the pack, the rest of the candidates out there, because the rest of the candidates are busy proposing new benefits and new government programs or maybe a cutback here and there, but they're all just the same old run-of-the-mill politicians. Make a dramatic proposal like this, a dramatic reduction in the size of government, will possibly get you dramatically uh, increased press attention. If you're on if you're on a if you're a local if you're running for a local office, um it's not a big deal anyways. You you're pretty close to being on a level playing field with um in a, in smaller markets or anything with with even incumbents. So mm-hmm. it'll get you noticed. Right. If like on an, you... if at a national level, um you don't have a shot anyway. I mean, you're so far from um a you know, a chance of getting something done, you might as well take a radical view and then you're going to get some attention. And it might help you. Which is why I'm so bothered by some of the people that are sort of infiltrating the Libertarian Party saying, we don't need to be so radical. We need to be more like those other guys. No, we don't. What we need to do is propose ideas that no one's ever heard before and explain to them how legitimate and how rational they are. And, in fact, Mark, I know that you were considering running for office here in Keene. Now it's looking like that might change. Yeah, I don't know. Simply because the the meetings for the... uh, they're the weekly, officials weekly at, at 7, 7 p.m., yeah. So and I do, no I do a radio show uh, nightly at 7 p.m. But nonetheless, we're still going to run a lot of candidates in the area here, and I'd mm-hmm. like to encourage them to pick up a couple of the issues you were looking at, which was one of them, and uh, I consider this a perfect example of a great government proposal, a uh, small government proposal, is getting rid of parking, uh, the parking fines, not fines, but uh, parking meters. Parking meters, yeah, getting rid of parking meters. That's something that affects anybody that's got a car. They're so ugly, too. Uh, and and it's a major, radical government proposal that can get people excited. Yep. That's what you've got to do. More on the way. There's two more steps. This is your show. It's Free Talk Live. This is Free Talk Live. It's your show. You bring up anything, even in these remaining moments, 800-259-9231 is the packet, 8.net till free line. That's 1-800-259-9231. We do ask that you voluntarily support the show, considering that we give away everything on our website at freetalklive.com. Unlike those other radio talk show hosts, they want to charge you for access. We do it for free. Though, again, we ask that you step a step up and uh, become a Free Talk Live amplifier. Head over to amp.freetalklive.com to learn more about the program. It's simple. It stands for Advertise, Market, and Promote. And the idea is you send us 3 bucks a month. And we turn that money around into promoting Free Talk Live, getting the, station, uh, getting the show on more radio stations around the country. Uh, we're on 20 stations now, and that doesn't include three different cable channels and our variety of Internet affiliates as well. You know, I know you call a cha- cable channel a channel as opposed to a station, but mm-hmm. I like to just say 23 stations. Just Any- easier. Anyway, we're on 20, uh, 20 radio stations around the country, and many of those stations are a direct result of many of you becoming Free Talk Live amplifiers. And you can go to amp.freetalklive.com to learn more about the program. It's very simple. You will get some perks like access to the amplifier-only call-in lines, classic archives, and more. Uh, we're going to probably be doing a uh, webcam sometime in the relatively near future. That's true. The uh, There are milestones with the AMP program. Mm-hmm. If you go to amp.freetalklive.com, you'll see uh, some of the past milestones that we've already reached. And the next milestone that's coming is the webcam. Now, I can tell you this, Mark. We're going to be in a testing phase um, with the webcam because we're at around $2,200, and we're supposed to launch the webcam at around The milestone is 25 Right. Not and, around at. 
So I don't want to make, I don't want it to be where well we get to 2500 and then I'm saying okay I'm now looking for a webcam right. uh, we're going to get it online at some point so I got to start testing it sooner rather than later so our amplifiers of course will be privy to the testing phase. So are you going to um wear something nicer when that, when we have a webcam? No. No. I wear the gonna... same old crap every night. Yeah. Like I always Just do. Sweatshirts and I didn't promise you have pants. something pretty to look at. You can have a webcam. <laughs> Not if it's on you, baby. So anyway, so my point being, the uh, that's another sort of perk for the amplifiers is that they'll get to test the uh, the webcam before it's official, before it's available to everyone. 800-259-9231. So get signed up for AMP at amp.freetalklive.com. Sign up for AMP so your conscience stops bothering you. We're talking about uh, the advocates, or not the advocates, rather I messed that up again, the, uh, the Center for Small Government. Carla Howell and 10 Critical Ingredients to Ignite Small Government Campaigns. Not only is this uh, something that will ignite a small government campaign, but it'll also just be good for anybody that wants to come up with a small government proposal. And uh, she's running down the list of things that the proposal must include. Number one, we'll just recap quickly, it must substantially reduce the overall size of government. Two, must remove government programs, big government programs, not transfer them to other government bodies. Three, remove the big government program. Don't replace it with a new, improved government program. Four, match each tax cut with an equal spending cut and match every spending cut with an equal tax cut. Five, small government, every issue, every time, no exceptions and no excuses. Six, small government actions, not just opinions, meaning do something. Number seven, broad-based benefits, big benefits. Number eight, these are th- these proposals that you're going to make as a candidate for a, for smaller government must affect a large amount of people. A broad-based tax reduction, not some teeny little tax reduction that's only going to affect homeowners or only going to affect uh, you know a certain individuals. You've got to hit everybody. Everybody has to feel the benefits. And in fact, number nine is to show the voters the direct benefits to them. A good salesman always spells out the benefits of what he's selling to his prospects. He answers the question, what's in it for me? You can come around with a vacuum cleaner to my front door and tell me about how great it sucks and blows, uh, but uh, but if you can't tell me how that's going to help me out in my life, why purchasing your vacuum cleaner would benefit me, I probably won't care. So, Yeah, it's true. You've got to show customers benefits. Candidates, and these people are essentially your customers. The voters. Candidates, ballot initiative spokespersons, and others advocating a small government proposal must show the benefits that will result from it. We must connect the dots. We must help voters imagine how this proposal will make their life better. For example, ending the income tax will give back an average of over $10,000 to each taxpayer every year. That's $10,000 that you can spend, save, or give away. $10,000 more in your pocket that you can use to buy a new car every two years save for your retirement, or pay off a school loan. Now, for some reason, I thought it was $10,000 for the average family, but I don't know. Maybe she's... Number, but the point is, it, 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 when you put it in those terms, when you connect the dots, as she says, this is what it will do. Not only will you have more money, but imagine all the things you could do with that money. If, for instance, you didn't have to pay property taxes up here in New Hampshire, they're especially onerous. If you didn't have to, if I didn't have to pay property taxes, that'd be six thousand dollars a year that I would get to keep and decide where to spend. Not entirely, but okay. What do you mean? Well, you have renters, um, so you know there would be. Well, I would lower my rent, and that right. would be one way for me to. Okay, you're right about that. So it, you would essentially get half of that because you live in half of the house. True. Number ten, it must be implemented immediately. 
A proposal that goes into effect gradually or long after the election has two problems. One, voters are less interested in it. They can't get an immediate payback for their effort, and therefore they're less motivated to vote. Secondly, once an election's over, voters lose power and special interests gain. Absolutely true. The latter are more likely to undermine the proposal if it doesn't go into effect immediately. Therefore, the proposal should take full effect as soon as possible after the election. A small government candidate promises to work to implement the proposal immediately after being elected. There's a lot of big government in America. To shrink it, we need candidates and ballot initiatives that offer proposals with all ten of the critical ingredients. A proposal that lacks any of these ingredients risks being dead on arrival. A proposal that includes all of them will wake up the voters, get them to the polls, and make small government a real possibility. Now, isn't that what you want? It's what I want. 1-800-259-9231 is the toll-free number. And so that's what we're going to try to do here in uh, Keene, New Hampshire, where we're doing the show from, because we see a real opportunity. Here in uh, Keene, there is a 3 to 5% turnout rate for municipal elections. That's pretty dismal. Minuscule. That's, but the, that's about typical for, for around the country. Is it? Municipal elections generally do terribly. Because there's I would imagine of, it's because, um, you know, especially if they're separated from, you, know, you probably would do better um, as far as getting voters out to vote on um, issues if you ran your mayoral election along with the presidential election. Perhaps so. This in this uh, in this case, that's not going to happen. This is a 2007 off-year election. Right. The municipal elections as happen off in off-years. You years. can get right. Um, also, in municipal elections, with a presidential election, people are paying attention. People are, are are researching more so than they when they would on any other uh, campaign. But in a municipal election, the candidates just sort of come out. Maybe there's a news couple of newspaper articles about them. Most people sh- sort of shrug it off because no one, in my memory. In a municipal election, and I, I'm paying more attention, I would think, than the average voter. I don't recall any candidates back down in Sarasota, where we come from, in Florida, that ever got me excited. Now, I never, to be fair, I never lived in city limits, but you would think Even I would have heard something. You'd think that if there was some sort of exciting proposal on the table to make the city government smaller, that word would have gotten around, especially amongst libertarian circles. But it didn't. Because no one ever came to the table with a smaller government proposal. Yeah. Or a small government proposal. It was always more bigger government from from each side of whoever the candidates are. And, of course, in a municipal election, the candidates typically aren't partisan. So they they don't run as a Republican or they don't run as a Democrat. They just run based on what they want to give to the community, what sort of government programs they want to create to help the community. And I think that um, you've seen we've seen evidence that the Libertarian Party generally not so successful on the national level, but they have elected a few council members and selectmen here and there across the country. So it's it's possible to win on small government proposals on a, on a local level. And I think if you take Carla's suggestions here, the ten suggestions, which by the way I've posted over at our blog at uh, at freekeen.com for everyone to look at. I think if you take those suggestions, internalize them, and create your central issues, because in a campaign, you're supposed to have two to three central issues that you focus on. Two to three issues, big issues that you focus on to get people excited about your campaign. You don't want to have more than that because you'll lose focus. And so you take those three issues, you make all three of them small government radical proposals that will radically alter the face of government, that will dramatically change the amount, uh, the the lives of the constituents in your area, in that they'll have more of their money to keep and do what they want with. 
I think you could really motivate some people because, as I pointed out, 3 to 5% turn out for municipal elections. Translation, people don't care about municipal no, elections. You know, they don't. And um, I, I've been a relatively interested in politics my whole life. But I haven't voted very heavily in municipal elections because I don't care. Right. But if I if somebody has a big message and they manage to get that big message to me, mm-hmm. um, you know, like I'm going to dramatically reduce property taxes. Mm-hmm. You'll get me out to vote. I'll figure out how to do it. So that's the trick: is getting the sleeping masses to hear the message and to get out and vote. It can be done. Jesse Ventura proved it. Candidates who have been elected on small government proposals have proven it. It's just a matter of the candidates having the courage to be different from the rest of them, having the courage to step outside of the box and propose something that will dramatically change the government in a much smaller fashion. It's been Ian here with you. And Mark. We'll see you tomorrow night online in the meantime at freetalklive.com. DVD, books, music, instruments, periodicals, computers, software, electronics, photo, cell phone, office product, home and garden, bed and bath, furniture, kitchen, pet supply, automotive, hardware, apparel, shoes, jewelry, grocery, healthcare, sports and outdoors, toys, games, used and more. It's a department store at your fingertips. Amazon.freetalklive.com. Get all your shopping done, a great deal, delivery to your door, and a percentage of your purchase will go to Free Talk Live when you enter Amazon through Amazon.freetalklive.com.